0: Good morning, everybody. Tuesday morning, top of the Tuesday morning to you. Welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. I'm your host, Dr. Matt Townsend, your coach, your guide on the side. Welcome to three hours of uh, information, fun. Keep your hands in at all times and enjoy the ride. That's the show. Hey, here's the deal, folks. By the way, Terry South's in the house. Terry's our new producer. He's been studying all weekend. He said he didn't sleep a wink. Not one wink. Not one wink. He just went shopping with his wife and got ready for today's show. Is that right, Terry? If if there's a way we can improve the
1: shopping experience, there's not. There isn't? No. It's just bad always.
0: Uh, yeah, you know, or sit in the car. Th- then you don't
1: you're not the supportive oh, yeah. member of the family. You're just you're just sort of the driver, you know, and
0: Yeah. Yeah. But my wife likes it cuz I pretend like I'm her butler. So I just dress in a tux and park the car, carry, okay, and carry the bags. You know the wallet, right? And listen to her making money.
1: No, my, my latest problem is I like to listen to uh, podcasts as we walk around.
0: Oh, but see, see, to me, my wife would call that rude. You yes. don't. You have to. You have to have your ears available.
1: Right? She says that it, it's showing that I'm. I really don't care about the family. And it's only, I I tell her I have one ear in and the other ear is out so I can hear. But then she's talking to me and I can't hear her. See, your
0: wife is crying for you to be empathic. Well, that's like every woman, right? See, that's one of our topics today. (laughs) So this is for you, Terry. Okay. We're doing this show for you because, and we're doing the show, by the way, the week after Valentine's Day or the week, the Monday, Tuesday after Valentine's Day, because so many of you, so many of us messed it up. So many of us just didn't quite deliver the empathy that they were looking for. Wow. On the horn today. (laughs) On the horn? Sean O'Neill. Our horn section. Good job, Sean. Thank you. You're all over that. James is sick today. He is. What's he got? Can we talk about it? Severe sore throat. Liar. Ski day. It's a ski day for James.
2: (laughs) Wait a minute. After the winter we've had so far, you're saying he's got a ski day? It's
0: a dirt day. (laughs) We're not in the Northeast. No. Uh-uh. Anyway, uh, we got a great show for you today. We're going to be talking about empathy and uh, some of the great gifts of empathy. We're even going to be getting into charities and how how we can be moved to uh, be more willing to give. We a little bit later in the show, um, in the second hour, we've got what do we got? It's really good, J- James. No, no, Sean. What have we got? I'm totally worried. Oh, we got yoga a little bit later. Oh, and prisons. And prisoners. In Utah, there's this big hullabaloo. They're trying to move the prison. And a lot of people like it, like the people that live near the prison want it moved, but nobody wants it in their backyard. And so yet here we sit, America, the United States, we put more people in prison than ever, and none of us want a prison near us. Maybe we need to choose one state. Send all one the prisoners that no to one's one using state. At the moment?
2: Yeah. This, this sounds like a Michael Bay movie in the making. Right. Like a,
0: we, well, we need one that's... The problem is one of those states that might be chosen might be your state. Right. Could be Utah. Could be You need a desert. Well, if if you're thinking of an underused state... But, but see, which state would say, oh, we're underused?
1: They won't volu- well, it, I think it'd end up being everyone ganging up on that one state and making
0: them do it. That's right. You know. Not good. No one's going to volunteer. We'll talk about prisons today, and then we're going to talk about yoga. You guys into yoga? No. Me either. I was, till I got stuck in one of those poses. I
2: want to ask which one. Pulled yeah. my hammies.
0: <laughs> it was uh, coughing dog. Okay. <laughs> I think it was coughing dog. Sounds relaxing. It's not good. Anyway, let's get to the headlines. What you got for us, Terry? Terry's been uh, scouring the headlines. J- Catch me up.
1: A uh, federal judge in Texas issues a temporary halt to President Barack Obama's executive action on immigration today. I know. Do you remember that? That caused a lot of stink. Twenty-six states
0: are in this lawsuit. Twenty-six states are saying we're not having your executive order. No, where you're going to kind of mainstream five million uh, immigrants. They're I guess. calling it an overreach.
1: The uh, U.S. District Judge Andrew. Hannon's ruling suspends his order, or Obama's order, which uh, includes expanding a program that shields young immigrants from deportation.
0: so kind of the dream act,
1: yes, yeah, kind of a, kind of yeah. a concept
0: yeah. yeah. but so but here's the deal. I mean, this is just a lawsuit. This is just threatening this is going to cause 20 more lawsuits.: Yes, as it says here, the
1: federal government is expected to appeal, so
0: government inaction. But, you know, it's interesting. He That was the big thing. I'm I'm going to use my power as the president. Yes. And he's arguing presidents have the right to determine how we're going to administrate over this. Hmm. And he does have the right to do executive orders. Sure. But they're saying. But he broke a clause. What was the clause? There was some clause they're saying he broke, like, basically, like, protecting the rights of the states. And they're they're doing something that is going to irreparably damage each state. Hmm. So, so that's on game on. That's ongoing. Okay. Egypt calls for a UN
1: coalition to go after ISIS. Now they're not. It's not ISIS that our country and a bunch of others are currently bombing in Iraq and Syria. Right. This is some offshoots that have associated themselves with ISIS in northern
0: Libya. It's like a little
1: sister of ISIS. Yes. Yes. I wouldn't say that to them. Well, I wouldn't say anything to them. Right. They'll kill you. So uh, this comes after 21 Egyptian Christians were kidnapped and killed. Over the weekend, uh, and according to reports, thirty-five more Egyptians, in retaliation to the bombings over the weekend, were kidnapped today. More. So this so, is just ongoing. But
0: see, so check this out. So they're they're now they're ticking people off. They're yes. ticking people off from the Middle East. People jo- that weren't
1: involved. If you remember, Jordan wasn't involved. Right. Now, now they're involved. One of their people were killed, and now bombing. They're yeah.
0: Egypt was kind of staying out of it. Now they're not sure if Egypt's
1: sudden willingness to drop bombs is going to be a limited. Sort
0: of feature action or if it's going to be a long-term thing. But now, interesting, Jordan and Egypt both have kind of historically supported the West in their efforts. Never like – but like they'd let them land a plane maybe here and there, right? Yeah. Well, as
1: I saw a a person talking about it who lives in that region – we they don't want the United States to necessarily come in militarily, but we like the money that helps to
0: support what we do. By the way, so they who, like the funds. who doesn't like the money. Absolutely. Did you hear the Pope got in on that one? That's pretty cool. The Pope actually mentioned this because his prayers go out to these thirty people that were killed. That was just horrendous. Marching them down, yeah, to the beach in Libya and, to the yeah. beach and then doing their horrible horrible work yes by the way isis isn't isis now claiming they're they're basically the, they're taking over they're the new rome they're they're going to conquer the world well so far there's
1: been little resistance man i mean we're the uh the bombing campaign in iraq has started
0: to kind of push them back into syria but mm-hmm. it's italy's starting stalled. to say hey maybe we need to get involved here people are starting to to get involved yeah to see so at this rate it's almost like get tell me if i'm crazy it's like isis is baiting everybody in so what are they going to do they're yeah. trying to get us all into the war hmm. and then you you have Dangerous. things like what happened in
1: denmark yeah where the uh the synagogue was attacked or it was a Jewish Community Center?
0: So now they're going they to get more involved
1: in France, and those those types of things motivate Canada, people to get involved. Canada, United States. So there you go. That like you're, it's, there's a plot, but as to what point, I don't oh, know. The tangled web. That was a word. One more story. You got um, more? Ukraine. Yeah. You what of, happened with that? There was a. a we had a ceasefire. A was, ceasefire was on done. Sunday. It was okay, and then yeah. I, I was reading. It's certain regions that have a ceasefire, so there's still fighting going oh. on. And uh, part of the ceasefire is today they were supposed to withdraw their heavy tanks and anti-missile okay. stuff. And both sides are like, we'll do it the second they do it. No, you do it. Then, then we'll do it. So they're, they're all standing around with their tanks waiting for the other guy to back off. And they're not back, backing off at the moment.
0: Wow. So, so it's, it's just a standoff. Everyone's got yes. their guns drawn. Nobody's going to actually go down. Hillary Clinton, did you see this from CNN, thinks Europe is too wimpy with Putin. She's okay. like, come on. You guys got to take him on more. Does she think that or is she running for president? I think she's running for president. Okay. I mean, you know. Yeah. She's, you know, she hasn't declared. But she has a committee. No Democrat has Raising money. Good news. I mean, bad news. Well, it's bad news, but, you know. But you delivered it in an incredibly... I tried to do it in a positive way. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that was the posi- That was the most positive delivery of bad news. We have more positive news coming up later. We've got we've got great stuff coming up. Today, in <laughs> fact... See, it's just... Children, it makes it happy. Well, and who brought all those kids in here? Yeah. Where did they come from? Is that you, Sean? <laughs> Today, uh, we're going to get into it. We're going to take a break, come back. And when we come back, we're going to get into a recent study about empathy between strangers. You know that... Uh, That feeling when you care, but I mean, you don't want to get involved, but you feel bad for somebody. Power, the power of empathy between strangers. We're going to be getting into it. Jeffrey, Dr. Jeffrey Mogul will be joining us. He is going to teach us more about uh, the impact of another human being in our lives and how to create that uh, feeling of empathy. This is the Matt Townsend Show. You're listening to us right here on Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. Hey, you know, we, are, uh, we live on this crazy ball of mud. We call Mother Earth and lots of people around. You know, people, different backgrounds, different ideas of what's right, what's wrong. Just when we hear the news, it's, uh, it's amazing that we've even made it this long and far when you think about it. Except deep inside of every human being is the power to uh, care, the power to feel for others. Um, Some might call that empathy, the ability to get within the pain of another person, but one of our guests right now that uh, we wanted to bring on is Dr. Jeff Mogul, and Dr. Mogul um, has been working on um, empathy, just a very basic concept, and has found some pretty interesting results about how you can actually more quickly grow a sense of connection, a sense of empathy With another human being, and uh, you know, some things that might be a, a quick key to the whole thing is simply maybe playing a video game. Believe it or not, with another person. Dr. Jeffrey Mogul is a professor of psychology at McGill University in Montreal, Canada. Jeffrey, welcome to the Matt Townsend Show.
3: Oh, thanks very much. Nice to be here.
0: Great to have you on the show. Talk to me about empathy. First of all, how do you how do you define empathy, and how did you choose this to be? a topic you'd work on.
3: Well, scientists have been having a lot of trouble defining empathy, in fact, and I think there are maybe 40 different definitions uh, that I've heard of um, in the literature. And um, people have a hard time even conceptualizing whether empathy is one thing or a group of things. Hmm. I'm actually part of the camp uh, who believes it's a group of things that sort of build on each
0: other. Yeah, so it's not like Uh, just one emotion and one part of your brain.
3: No, right. I mean, part of it is sympathy, and part of it is putting yourself in another's place, and part of it is simply um, uh, pro-social behavior, you mm-hmm. know, So doing good things. And all of these is sort of a suite of behaviors uh, that um,
0: our people use the same word for, ultimately. Hmm. I mean, because I, I don't know if you heard our news before, but we're, we're, here we are talking about ISIS beheading 30 Christians from Egypt. Yeah. I mean— it seems like if you had any empathy, that would be really hard.
3: Uh, yeah, maybe, although <laughs> I actually think it's perfectly reasonable that uh, um, e- evil people are capable of empathy. They can override it with other
0: priorities. That's why, that's why you <laughs> say it's so happen. complex, right, because it's not just having sympathy. They might also have a, a, you know, a doctrine or something they believe they're following that might override it.
3: Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I believe that's probably a better explanation of that sort of
0: thing. Yeah. But, so. so so it's a complicated definition. You kind of go with the idea that it's it's more complex. It's a mix of, of different things including just pro social. I mean, empathy probably would keep you in the in the social family longer than being somebody who has no empathy towards others.
3: Which is probably why it evolved uh, in, in the first place. Yeah. Right? Uh, it's useful for social creatures. But, you know, as a scientist, I think it's important to walk before you can run. Uh, and so we have concentrated on studying empathy uh, at what most people believe it's its most basic form, uh, the core form, if you will. And that's a phenomenon called emotional contagion okay um, and, and this is simply uh, a situation where someone else's emotional state um influences your emotional state mm-hmm. and nudges you you know closer to where uh, to what they 're experiencing
0: is that true we, we that's true in negative or positive emotional state
3: uh yes exactly so, so if they're Although mad, the we might ones get ones more mad and defensive so.
0: okay <laughs> yeah, so because one of the things you get into is just kind of the simple. H- hesitancy that we all have with a stranger
3: right um so maybe i should back up a little and tell you the the core finding and yeah. um, the core finding in fact starts uh a number of years ago we published a paper uh, way back in 2006 um showing that uh, mice uh, were capable of emotional contagion hmm. um and the way we showed this was just to um, From the observation um, that mice would exhibit more pain behavior, they appeared to be in more pain um, if they were tested for pain in the presence of another mouse Hmm. compared to when they were tested alone. Um, And what made that finding particular interesting is that this was only true um, if they knew the other mouse, if they if they uh, lived with them. If you uh, put two stranger mice together. You wouldn't see this increase in pain sensitivity that we believe uh was emotional contagion was this so was this we,
0: their 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 ability to see the pain of another or and and feel contag have a contagious effect of that pain or was that them feeling their own pain
3: well, it was both right? okay it was the contagion from the other mouse's pain hmm. adding to their pain especially so if they, they knew were that in more mouse pain than yeah. they would have been if they were tested by themselves oh wow. Yeah, exactly. That's interesting. Um, I mean, it's hard to feel pain purely uh, empathetically. There there really needs to be a stimulus. Now, people wince when they see someone else get their hands stuck in a door, for example. Um, So they make a pain behavior of a sense, but no one actually believes that they're in pain in that right. particular case. right? Um, but in fact, if they are in pain and they see someone else in pain, their pain can be worse. So if there's a pain stimulus, uh, the emotional contagion can, can add to it and make it worse. Hmm. So in our new study that we just published, we essentially answered the two questions that were left hanging from the original study. One was, why is it that strangers don't show this phenomenon? And two is, are people capable of emotional contagion for pain as well? And believe it or not, that had actually never been directly shown. Oh, really?
0: So, so yeah. are, do, do humans live up to uh, mice? Do we have that same we, ability?
3: So we, the, the short answer is we do indeed. Woo! Uh, you can show exactly the same phenomenon in almost exactly the same way. So how we did it in humans was... Um, We put their hands in in cold water uh, for 30 seconds uh, and this hurts, it hurts about a 4 out of 10. Um, and we test uh, each uh, participant in the study twice, once by themselves and once across from another person. Now, we don't want people to know what's going on, so we make a ruse that we're running out of time, and the only way we can get back on schedule is, do you mind, we'll test you both at the same time, and okay. we'll be right back on the clock. Yeah. Um, and so um, they are either tested across from a friend that they were asked to come into the experiment with, or uh, a complete stranger who just also happens to be in the experiment that day.
4: Mm.
3: And then what we do is we compare the pain ratings they give, the time they were tested by themselves to the time they were tested across from the other person. And lo and behold, just like mice, if they're tested across from their friend, it hurts worse. Wow. And if they're tested across from a stranger, there's no difference. Interesting. So they're showing the same emotional contagion as mice are. Um, And, uh, in fact... Uh, we then went on to show in both mice and people that the reason that strangers aren't showing emotional contagion, only friends are, uh, is because of the stress of the stranger, right? That. Oh, interesting. The, yeah. Right? That the, the presence of the stranger is blocking the emotional contagion from occurring. And so if you can block the stress, then you can elicit the emotional contagion, again, both in mice and people. And so we did that in two ways. We did it pharmacologically with a drug that blocks the stress response. Uh-huh. And we did this both in mice and people. And then in humans, we figured, well, there are other ways to block stress other than, uh, other than drugs in people. You can do it with a little psychological manipulation. And so that's where the rock band experiment came in. So three Beatles songs together for about 15 minutes. <laughs> and then when it came time for the pain testing, well, they weren't strangers anymore.
0: Yeah, right? now you've bonded through the Beatles. Yeah, Exactly. <laughs> That's so interesting well I thought I thought the idea that you know if you're if someone you loved held your hand and was with you while you were going through a procedure, I thought that would decrease your pain
3: yep that so you're referring to a phenomenon called social buffering,
0: yeah, uh, and it's interesting because there's a lot of
3: evidence for social buffering in the literature, but a lot of people have looked and haven't found it. And you're right, our finding is counterintuitive. If, if you think about it for a second, your friend should make it better, but yeah. actually your friend is making it worse, right?
0: Now, is it, is it I, I guess, is it worse? It's it's just, but at least they're bonding to you, I guess. They're feeling well, you're your right.
3: pain. Is it, is it good or is it bad? Isn't yes, that weird? Or pain, that's bad, but also you're empathizing, yeah. so that's good, right?
0: It's yeah. so interesting.
3: Yeah, exactly. Um, the, the key is, is that for this phenomenon to occur, both parties have to be in pain simultaneously. Right. If only one person's in pain and your friend is just there, um, actually nothing happens. And we would have expected that it would have been helpful. Yeah. It turned out not to be in our experiment, but at oh, least wow. it didn't make it worse.
0: Well, when I was, so I was an EMT on an ambulance going yeah. through college and we would it's show clean. up on a scene where people were in pain, but we were strangers and we would, we had empathy, I guess, but we also had solutions to ease their pain. Yeah. But in a way, I guess that's some of the comforting is the stranger can kind of step in and not have to be as affected by it.
3: Yeah, I suppose so. I mean, you know, it, it, to be honest, it's really, really hard to know how these sorts of things translate into the real world. Because right. there are so many other factors at play. Uh, in a real-world situation, you know, people doing their jobs, and people come to it with, you know, uh, uh, beliefs and, and, and attitudes, and it, it's, it's hard to know how these things are going to play out. The nice thing about laboratory experiments is that, you know, you can hold everything else constant, Um, and just vary one thing Mm -hmm. at a time, like friend versus stranger, and see the differences.
0: You bet. Well, let's do this. We're talking with Dr. Jeffrey Mogul. Let's take a break, Jeff, and come back and work on uh, trying to understand this a little bit better, see how it impacts people who are also suffering from psychological disorders. More from Dr. Jeffrey Mogul from the University of McGill. Uh, trying to figure out empathy, understanding its impact with strangers and with those we love. This is the Matt Townsend Show. You're listening to us right here on Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. To the Matt Townsend Show. Today we are talking about empathy and your ability to connect uh, your feelings and emotions with other people. It's a big part of life when you think about it. Day in, day out, you're coming across people. In fact, a lot of times you spend more time with a bunch of strangers than you do with uh, people that are near and dear to you. And according to the research from um, our professor, Dr. Jeffrey McGill, that uh, might actually help decrease your. Pain threshold. You actually did that on, on uh, Saturday night. What do you mean? You spent uh, about two hours with, uh, with 1200, about 1,200 strangers. That was the coolest thing. That, and Sean went, thanks for going. Sure. That was, that was, because 1,200 people in a room laughing, talking about marriage and just a, and that important relationship. Then you just leave feeling really good. And then you go home and give your wife chocolate and flowers. Or a ring, maybe? Did you give her a ring? No, I was like, "Did you?" Oh yeah,
2: James no, I'd may already have. given I wonder. her. Wonder, maybe I, that's why James. That's isn't why James here. is sick.
0: James probably gave uh, Monica a ring. That's possible. Oh, we got to get him on the phone. Doctor Jeffrey Mogul is joining us. Uh, Doctor Mogul, again from uh, McGill University. Thank you so much for being here. Oh, my pleasure. I mean, it really is. Um, this is a fascinating study. Is, so basically what you found is if I have a connection with somebody and they're in pain and I'm suffering a similar pain, our pain will go up. It will increase by yeah, being exactly. with someone that we are connected to. But if, I have, if we're going through the same pain with somebody I don't know, a stranger, my pain is actually going to stay the same.
3: Yeah, that's exactly
0: right. It doesn't go down with a stranger.
3: No, it doesn't go down, and it it also uh, surprisingly, as we talked about before, doesn't go down if your friend is there but isn't in pain. Right. You would have imagined that we would have seen that, but we didn't. Actually.
0: You didn't even see that. But, does is this is the opposite true? If it's not pain, if it's enjoyment, does yeah. my enjoyment go up with a person that I know, and does my enjoyment stay the same with a person I don't know?
3: So one would imagine. Uh, that um, uh, empathy for positive states um, would also be higher um, in people who know each other versus strangers it's just that that's so very much harder to study oh is it Um, well, I would take you into the laboratory and I would uh, show you enjoyment. How would I do right. that exactly? And how would I make sure that everyone was having the same am- amount of enjoyment? The nice thing about pain, I mean, yeah, there's a pain the number. About yeah, it is that it's it's easy to uh, um, inflict and it's easy to tell how bad it is. People can give you a very discrete number. Oh, it's yes, true, that's huh? a four. That's a five, right? So
0: that's so true. I mean, but and it seems like. You need the positive side of empathy for some sort of payoff. Otherwise, what's the payoff of empathy if it just causes me more pain?
3: Well... Part of it, you might imagine, would be for uh, animals living in social situations, uh, would be as a defense mechanism, right?
0: Yeah, one goes down, um, we all go down, right?
3: Yeah, exactly. Or at the very least, if the lion picks off, you know, one of the deer, the rest of the deer can escape, right? Right. So there, so there are definitely, you know, good uh, uh, reasons you can think of uh, for emotional contagion um, of a, you know, of a negative thing.
0: Sure. Is so so now? What do you do with your research? And I mean, is this is this just physical pain, or is this could this be psycho, you know, kind of psychological pain?
3: Yeah, it could be psychological pain. In fact, that would be a really interesting uh, follow up study. Um, there are actually fairly reliable. Um, methods in the laboratory to cause people psychological pain. There's a, an interesting uh, test um, uh, called the the cyberball test. Have you ever heard of that? No,
5: but it sounds um, like basically a great they dance. Take
3: people in, in the lab and they have them play a video game. It's a very simple uh, video game where people pass a ball um, and you think that there are three people playing. Um, And then at some but it's actually a computer program. And at at some point, they stop throwing you the ball. They
0: just throw (laughs) it to each
3: other and you're excluded.
0: Sounds like my childhood, Jeff.
3: Yes, I know. And it actually makes people very upset reliably.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And and then and so that in the game there, nobody's playing with you and then they get to measure how it impacts you.
3: Yeah, exactly. exactly. So that, that,
0: that sounds <laughs> that maniacal.
3: Done in the laboratory, so that's actually a really uh, um, uh, easy experiment to do. Uh, um, but I think the bigger picture here, in my mind, actually, yeah. is uh, the fact that this all works exactly the same way in mice and people. Um, and because it works exactly the same way in mice and people, which is very, very surprising, because just a few years ago, almost everyone would have agreed. Um, that only humans were capable of empathy. Oh,
0: yeah, we we used to hear that all the time. It's what made us different.
3: And and still probably most people believe that, but an increasing number of scientists now believe otherwise, um, believe that uh, animals, at least mammals, uh, are capable of, at the very least, these low levels of empathy and maybe even some higher levels as well. Um, And the extent to which that is true, then you can actually go and really study the mechanisms Uh, that underlie empathy. You can figure out the anatomy and the neurochemistry. And once you can do that, then you could presumably uh, start thinking about really doing something about it Hmm. uh, in disorders, human disorders that feature problems with empathy. And there's, you know, two of those that are very uh, obvious. What are those? Uh, Well, one is autism. Yeah. Uh, Autism spectrum disorder. Like
0: Asperger's uh, at the high end. Yeah. uh,
3: Problems with empathy, uh, and the other is um, uh, psychopathy. So uh, psychopaths or sociopaths um, are, are, are reputed to have low low empathy.
0: So then, uh, it's interesting because um, all of a sudden we we could actually create c- the basically using the contagion theory, emotional contagion. We might be able to figure out ways to take somebody with Asperger's mm-hmm. and. And basic and help them to learn to catch emotional understanding.
3: Yeah, that's the idea. And of course, the you know the the, the dream idea is that you you might actually be able to come up with a pill yeah. um, that actually sort of reliably increases empathy levels in those with low empathy.
0: Well, I mean, and thus eliminating psychopaths.
3: Well, wow. <laughs> again, I don't want to make any promises. I know. But, yeah, that, I but, mean, that's the entire know, idea.
0: Give it 100 years, that might be it. And then all yeah. of a sudden, then what would we watch on the news?
3: Yeah, right, exactly.
0: There would be no more murder <laughs> the, shows. Life
3: would become very boring. It
0: would become, do you remember when we used to have psychopaths? Um, <laughs> that is, to me, that's super, I think that's, that's incredible. That's powerful. And yet we sit here and we, we really know so very little about empathy, don't we?
3: We know very little about empathy. In fact, we know very little about all social uh, behaviors. Um, this is something that everyone agrees is very important, and it's a very important determinant of health uh, and disease. Um, in fact, there's something known as the biopsychosocial model, which is uh, very well accepted. Uh, in uh, science, um, and it says that if you want to understand uh, disease and health, you need to understand the biological factors, the psychological factors, and the social factors mm. underlying it. Yeah. The problem is there's a whole lot of work on the biological factors, and there's a whole lot of work on the psychological factors, and there's almost no research at all on social factors, probably because they're so much more complicated to yeah. study.
0: Well, and yet, and we also just barely are creating... New instruments to evaluate the brain, to study the brain. I mean, we now have all of these different imaging devices, which could open up a whole new spectrum, couldn't it?
3: Exactly. But we, what we need are scanners where you can put two people in at one time.
0: Oh, wouldn't that be great? Oh, yeah. And watch how they react to each other. Yeah, except they – <laughs> the know, problem, of
3: course, <laughs> with a scanner is that you're not allowed to move.
0: Right? That's so true. All you need – I mean, but see, it seems pretty simple. Just put the husband in the scanner and then watch what happens to his brain when his wife talks to him.
3: Well, there's actually a famous study a few years ago that was similar to that. Uh, they actually put women uh, in a scanner, and they were in fact studying empathy. Uh-huh. Um, and um, a light went on in the scanner, and that light told uh, the girlfriend. I don't believe these people were married. Uh, the light told the girlfriend that the boyfriend was about to be shocked. Oh boy! An electric shock. Yeah. Um, and what they found was is that the same parts of uh, her brain lit up when she was told the boyfriend was about to be
0: shocked, has as
3: lit up when she herself was shocked.
0: Right? Oh, interesting. Yeah. Which means, so she was healthy. Because you would have some that would be like, good, let's watch yeah. this happen. <laughs> and that would be a different part of the brain.
3: Yes, but these were people that, uh, you know, weren't married yet, so they were still deeply were in, still love. in love. They were still in love.
0: They still had yearning. Isn't that, exactly. but see, it seems like we think that this would be the cure to creating and understanding how to motivate people to, to be more healthy with each other. But I guess, too, it's, it's probably also a form of manipulation, potentially, because you could then manipulate emotion easier.
3: Yeah, I suppose. But I would suggest that in the real world uh emotion is so complicated uh, yeah. that no one's ever really gonna be able to figure out how to manipulate it. And maybe right. little nudges here and yeah. there, right? It's too complex. And, and maybe that's all you need. But.
0: but I don't know. I've had some like used car salespeople that seemed like brilliant. At getting <laughs> well, to they my emotion. Have strategies, right? Yeah. Well I think the research is fascinating. What else? What else do we need to worry? Just the average Joe. What should we be thinking about? when it comes to empathy with others?
3: Well, I would like to uh, bring up one thing, and it's something that people don't uh, think of a lot. Um, And this, of course, is an evolutionary argument. But So um, we show that you can have empathy with friends, and empathy with strangers is a lot harder um, because of the stress associated with those strangers. Um, Keep in mind that we now live in a world where we encounter strangers a lot. You know, mm-hmm. most of the time, uh, the people we see are strangers. Um, you have to remember that in our uh, development as a species, that was almost never the case until very, very recently. So people lived in tribes of yeah. about 100 people for much of our development, and there were no strangers.
0: Everyone right? in I mean, your tribe, you knew.
3: You knew everyone. Everyone was your friend. They had to be, and when you met strangers way back when, uh, it, you know, was always a very tense situation that al- almost always didn't go very well, right? I mean, right. you know, maybe there would be some trade and everything would be okay, but maybe there would be, you know, a skirmish or a war. Um, and so I would suggest that, um, uh, you know, it's, it's sort of interesting and, and, and gives us some pause on uh, just how impressive it is mm. uh, that we actually can get over... Um, Sort of biological barrier towards yeah. connecting with other people. The fact that we can do it at all is actually pretty amazing.
0: Well, and our, and that circle is getting so large. I mean, your work, your church, your community. You're now you now may know a thousand people. You may
3: know a thousand people personally, and of course, media um, gives you insight oh, yeah. into the lives of you know millions yeah. and billions more. And so it's uh, it's quite a big change in a very small period of time.
0: Oh. That really is fascinating. I well, I appreciate your work uh, again, Doctor Jeffrey Mogul. Thanks, and and thanks for giving us some hope. Maybe someday in the next hundred years, maybe two hundred years, whenever there might be a pill, my friends, to uh, to basically get some of those those people that can't quite feel that empathy. To connect back in dr. Jeffrey Mogul again appreciate it from the University of McGill up in Montreal Canada we're going to take a break when we come back let 's talk about empathy in action uh, charities right you you all have walked down the street you 've seen a homeless person sitting there before you have that desire in your heart to help how much do we help how do we help we 've got uh, a great uh, leader in our community at uh, United Way of Utah County is going to be joining us. Bill Holterstrom will be here, and uh, we're going to try to understand how best to act on that empathy. This is the Matt Townsend Show. You're listening to us right here on Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. everybody to the matt townsend show today we've been talking about empathy and uh you know the impact it has on our lives apparently we all have not all of us i guess psychopaths and those uh with some forms of autism have a harder time to feeling that empathic emotion towards others except a lot of us have it and when we feel good and we feel connected to somebody we want to help and we want to find some way to help So we wanted to talk to an expert who gets day in, day out the opportunity to serve those in the community, those that uh, might stand in, in a greater need than some of the rest of us. Bill Holterstrom is his name. He's the president and CEO at United Way of Utah County. And over 30 years, he's been the head of United Way in Utah County. He also he started his career many, many, many moons ago, Bill. That's many moons ago. So long ago. (laughs) At Utah Special Olympics, he's also been on a bunch of boards here in Utah, the Intermountain Healthcare Association, Mountainland Head Start, Hogel Zoo, our our major zoo here, and has served as president of the Board of Utah Directors of Volunteers and is former chairman of Mountainland's Family Health Center, Bill Holterstrom. Thanks for being here. Good morning. It's one thing to feel empathy for another human being. It's another thing, I guess,
6: to just act on it. And that's kind of where you come in. You you help people act. I've discovered there are kind of – most of us do have empathy. And I, I think your discussion earlier was fascinating. But I think some people learn how to be proactive in that empathy. Yeah. And others find a way of – only can be reactive. It's almost always in crisis mode, their empathy. Yeah. Rather than being proactive in building and supporting their empathy.
0: And proactive meaning – like. Planning ahead, doing something ahead to serve
6: instead of just only serving
0: after you feel the impulse,
6: and and there are so many ways of just planning ahead to do it. Yeah, whether it be a most I, I live on the street with a few beautiful senior citizens. It's really easy for me to respond when they call say Bill, would you come over and help me with yeah. X Y or Shovel Z? Shovel my walks. Yeah, but can I be proactive and just do the visit? Yeah. Which often eliminates the need to do the reactive, which is far less convenient and less efficient.
0: So actually, you already know that they're special. You already know you want to do something with them and be there to serve them. So you're just saying, put it in your life
6: anyway. Put service and an opportunity to serve in your life anyway. And you can put it in any way. You can do it formally and informally. Yeah. On the formal side, as many of us encounter panhandlers... We can be proactive by supporting organizations and causes and the best way of helping in advance. Yeah. So, our reactive response can say, hey, go down the street. There's a place down the street that can help you. So,
0: because everyone, uh, there seems to be that weird dilemma. Am I supposed to give this guy money because he's just going to go buy alcohol? That, that
6: debate doesn't have to be there if you've been proactively working on serving him anyway. If, if you proactively know that there's good resources around, that there's support around, you can with great confidence say, oh, go down the street three blocks and turn left. Yeah, let me walk worked, you there. I, I've worked with that program. Yeah. They'll help you. Yeah. But so you'd have to actually have exerted the energy. It, and it doesn't get you sometimes the the glory and the immediate rush that you may feel the other way. Yeah. But I think it's a deeper, more substantive um, way of helping and fix.
0: Well, I mean, it really is because you guys are on the front line. You have programs. You have training. You have the ability to get some of these people homes or places to live, showers, um, job applications. I mean,
6: it's different than just a $5 bill. Absolutely. And and I often use the, the medical profession as my parallel for this one. We would never want to just have a doctor who had only empathy. Yeah, without oh, knowledge yeah. and skill. That's right. Tons of character I, for if, you. If I only had <laughs> empathy, but by the way, if I didn't make it through school. But I have great empathy. Yeah. I don't know why. When we think, when it helps to serving our neighbor, that empathy alone, without some of the the homework and the, the work behind the it, will make us the same difference. That's true. So where? Are, I mean, where do we get?
0: Where do we begin? I mean, it seems like a big task because I, uh, you know, I've only got an hour a week, but. An hour a week in your hands or in the hands of United Way or other organizations that know what they're doing could do a lot
6: with that hour. The hour a week, especially if it's an hour that can be given week after week, Mm -hmm. an hour a week doing something different every single week will be very superficial impact. Yeah. But if you can find an hour a week and, and do the same thing over and get better at it and get more experience and have people trust you more, your impact, your ability to change the world, goes deeper every single time you're involved. That's so true, and and
0: you and your confidence goes up with doing it. So you're not you, you can you can kind of get
6: out of yourself easier and just go give. And, and, and I realize that we have often shorter attention spans. I mean, I'm the guy who has the remote control in my yeah. hand and wants to change the channel during every commercial. Yeah. We'll watch three shows at one time. Yeah. I, I get that. You sound like the perfect man, uh, and I'm, I'm a master at <laughs> the remote control. But the ability to create deeper impact requires a little more dedication, a little more focus, and, and pre-thought of sticking with an issue proactively. Yeah.
0: Does what, what do you do if you have, you know, the the desire to help? You see the need, and you have the desire, but you really can't find the time. You can't.
6: How else can I be involved? I think that there are ways of being proactive in our everyday lives, in just how we relate to others. I know many of us are concerned about poverty. Yeah, uh, Something that I've been working on, on how can we do something in our everyday life as we're going through a drive-through line at a fast food restaurant talking to someone who's earning near minimum wage? Are we able to encourage them and help point out their great skills to help them become more self-confident to go on to that bigger job and the next job? Yeah, Can we interact differently at the convenience store or with anybody that we deal with in our everyday lives that are already there to help them encourage them that might be one of our ways that, just proactively, we can have empathy, but also help build people yeah, to move to a the, higher levels of lift independence. Lift the people
0: around you. I, this whole idea that we were talking about earlier with uh, Jeff M- Mogul is this, the contagion kind of effect of empathy. I've had it. I know you see it every holiday. Everybody kind of jumps on board at Thanksgiving to feed the homeless. But I've had a guy pay in front of me at McDonald's, and he paid for me. And I paid for the person behind me, and I don't know what they did, but one person impacted at least two other lives, and that's basically what you're saying.
6: There are so many ways of doing it. I was just a couple of weeks ago. I was in a shoe shine stand at the Minneapolis airport, talking with a young man who is a a single young man who had a young teenage, a young five year old daughter. Learning his story and for me be able to, in my expertise, be able to just share a little bit about how he could do some breeding with his daughter. Yeah. We ended up bonding like you can't believe. That's so great. I now have a friend who I've never met before yeah. in Minneapolis Airport.
0: But you know what? There's people listening right now that have walked by that man at Minneapolis Airport, maybe even had a shoe shine by that man but didn't bother to
6: just connect to him. And
0: and you're saying that's all you need to do.
6: And and connecting. In this case, it was through his five-year-old daughter. We talked about how he could read to his daughter, the impact he would have. Oh, that's amazing. He stood so tall that day when we were talking about his daughter and the things he could do with his daughter. And it it did not hit me till after I got back on that plane saying, I can do this everywhere where I can just show empathy, show compassion. Get into their story. Yeah. Beyond just me formally giving to a program that will help individuals.
0: Well, and that's elevating the world. That I mean, you don't need – it doesn't always have to be financial or – that is service, but it's just caring. And that probably changed that boy and his daughter that day. And
6: I think that there are everyday moments that we can do everyday service and that everyday service will actually help us be able to do – when we have the formal opportunities to do it, that one hour a week, two hours a week, we'll be better at it because we've learned how to do it informally. That's right. And doing it formally will actually help us do it better informally as well. But both are such elements of a great community
0: what um I, I, and I love your teaching about that what's What else should the rest of us be trying to do? be proactive with our empathy, um, you know kind of make it a habit, get into a system, care about the individual. what else? What else should we be doing so that we don't just have to feel empathy but we're doing something about
6: it? I think one of the first things we can do that will help us feel that and then do something is see people's strengths before we see their weaknesses, yeah. And the ability that we can help people identify their strengths, help them share their talents, not just us share our talents, is one of the core principles of, of deep, enriching service. Totally.
0: Well, I mean, and you because everybody's got good to bring. And if all you're trying to do is lift their bad, without conceptualizing their good, you, you're,
6: you have half the tool set. You don't build the building on the weakest part of the foundation. Right. No. You don't build an individual based on their weaknesses. You build an individual, a community, a neighborhood, a child, based on their strengths. So look for the strength in others and build
0: upon that. And build upon it. And it seems like too. You also basically are saying validate it to them. Let them know their own strength. So no matter what, when they walk away from you or you walk away from them, they know what their strengths are because you've just you've you just showed through the mirror.
6: That you've got this incredible strength. And we all probably have examples when we were younger where a coach or a school teacher, a neighbor pointed out something to us that just that has really had impact on our entire lives. Absolutely. We never know when yeah. we can be that person. Yeah. I
0: mean isn't it interesting? We hear we we always start the show with all these headlines and the headlines are horrendous. It's a difficult life. And yet most of us aren't living in a place where we're going to have somebody behead somebody we love. We're not there in that space. Instead, we're in this other space with people, even strangers, but everybody's bringing something good, and we have the opportunity to change those lives.
6: We're in a community in a world in, here in, in our great area where we can build on each other's strengths, the commonality that we actually do care. We care about our families. How many parents don't care about their kids? That's a commonality we can build upon. Right. No, Exactly. Ah, oh, it's
0: powerful, and and again, it's as simple as being able to go in and see the good, see the good everywhere. Even if the good's twenty percent, twenty five percent, start there. Twenty five percent is where we. It's it, that's the strong, healthy materials that can can complete the house. The other hundred percent.
6: We don't need to wait for an invitation
0: to help. It's powerful. Bill Holterstrom's his name. Uh, BYU, I mean, president and CEO at United Way of Utah County. You have a United Way office and branch in every one of your communities out there in listener land. So go get involved. And remember, you don't need an invitation. Be more proactive. Go go see where you can fit in. And if you can't do anything else, just change the lives around you. Be positive. Reflect the good. We're going to take a break. Come back. Give you more ideas. A whole other hour right here on the Matt Townsend Show on BYU Radio. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to hour number two of the Matt Townsend Show. I'm your host, Dr. Matt Townsend, your coach, your guide on the side. Welcome to hour number two. Man, interesting hour. Isn't it interesting? So we went from basically empathy to charity. Now we're going into the prison system. Uh, Today, we have a great guest coming up in the next few blocks. Stephen Barr, a professor here at Brigham Young University, is going to talk to us about... The prison, uh, kind of, I guess, epidemic. We're putting a lot of people in prison, and are we doing a very good job at making sure that, that we're reforming them? How effective are we at truly reforming those prisoners that we put in there? We'll get to that. But before we do, let's go to some headlines. Terry has been just reading like crazy. Well, first
1: off, I just <laughs> followed your show on Twitter.
0: Did you? Yeah. Well, thanks. Now, it's, it's really now our show. Right, I
1: have to take ownership of this. I was <laughs> so, told that.
0: Uh, I hope they're they're tweeting things that we ought to be tweeting.
1: <laughs> yes, I, I was looking. Yes, it's very uh, representative. Yeah. Of you know, what's ever going since on.
0: I turned um, my Twitter page over to the team, I can't find it. I can't find my own Twitter page now. Why can't you find it? I mean, I can find it, but I can't like I can't get into it. Like I can't access like it. Like the password. It's and... like they've booted me out. You could just follow. You
1: don't have to actually have access. I I, well, I mean, you think. You, doc- I don't know. You At Doctor Show. Yeah. Oh, is that what it is? Yeah. If, if you want to have the correct, that's maybe that's why I can't Twitter handle there. <laughs> There's another one that apparently you don't have a name on.
2: There's two T's in Matt, by the way. Yes.
0: Oh, just in case you didn't know. Wow. It's okay. the one,
1: it's the one with your face, not the yellow egg.
0: Yeah. Don't do the yellow egg, yeah, even do- though the yellow egg may appear to be my. Put face. the one with your face on it. What uh, <laughs> What's in the headlines?
1: Uh, you're asking. We we're going to talk about prisons and yeah. some crime over the weekend. It was uncovered that hackers—that's a code word for you know, uh,
0: yeah high-tech computer crime—geek people that are apparently very wealthy now.
1: They have been active since at least the end of 2013 and infiltrated more than 100 banks in 30 countries, uh, stealing over a billion dollars.
0: There are hackers that are billionaires now.
1: Yes, and they—they they, they believe they're in uh, actually. Set right over there that that piece of paper. Yeah, yeah there we go. Ukraine. There's, there's a list of countries here: Russian, Ukrainian, Chinese, and European. Wow, is where they're located. Two
0: thirds of those seem to be like enemies. To a be-
1: few banks in the United States, mostly overseas, but they're uh, just and, and they would go in, and it wasn't like a smash and grab sort uh-huh. of approach. It yeah. was you go in. Do very slowly. Yeah. Watch their processes. Steal just a little bit. They'd actually just a inf- dollar here, a dollar they'd there. They'd go to an account, inflate the balance, and then so the bank would think that there was no problem, and the people wouldn't would know, wouldn't right. see any money missing. And then they would take money out and then shrink it back down, and apparently no one noticed. Wow! So they're they're playing with
0: balances and all kinds of different. Well, processes, I know how you so. find these guys. It's very simple. How's that? You go to Monaco. And they are the geeks that are walking around that don't seem to fit into the Monica, don't seem to fit into the right. rest of the people. They're the ones with pocket protectors. They're the ones on the beaches getting sunburned because their body, they're just so pale. They can't seem to. Maybe that's just, maybe not all hackers are just computer geeks. Maybe not. These, these are very
1: sophisticated, so we're
0: not sure. Billions of dollars. So <laughs> there's crime. That's crazy. I got one. What do you got? Uh, You notice that it's getting harder. I don't know if you know this. It's getting harder, according to the Army Reserves, to recruit people because they have too many tattoos, they're on too many prescription drugs, and they're obese. Hmm. So it's – check this out. Reservists are either hooked on prescription drugs, have too many tattoos, or they're overweight or have mental conditions that prohibit them from being recruited, and it's impacting the Army's ability to bring on the amount of people they need. Only 71 per, or only 29% of the people that want to join the military actually pass the tests to get in. So basically a third are able to get in, two-thirds we can't let them in. Because did you know you can't have tattoos down on your arms, your sleeves? Visible. Is that Visible the, tattoos. The military huh. doesn't like that. That probably doesn't fly well in other countries. No, probably not. Right? So uh, the Air Force has these incredible recruiting goals. They want about 2,000 to 9,500 more active duty uh, recruits to be coming in. They also want to recruit about 33,000 people to the reserves, and they can't get their numbers because people don't qualify. They're too overweight, they says there's a ton of jobs, we have a ton of stuff we need them to be doing, and we can't get the people. They wow. keep being disqualified because of mental, moral, and physical reasons.
1: But does that surprise you when you look at, I guess, general health and uh, yeah. of the nation, and then there's a huge prescription drug problem right. going know, on it to, in the country? In fact,
0: and- I, I have somebody very close to me that is joining and is going to be active duty and is basically kind of going for a special ops area. Really hard to get into, has incredible grades. His parents should think he should be going to, you know, Harvard. And um, But the interesting thing is, the number one complaint the mom has about him is, how's this boy that's only done nothing anything but played video games going to go join the military? Was it Call of Duty? It was Call of Duty. Well, I— So he's very ready, apparently, yeah. except if all you do is play video games, you might be medicating a, a psychological issue, yes. and you might be also gaining a little weight. When I play video games, I eat Cheetos.
1: It does make me hungry if I do play. So, my wife won't let me that. play video games. So that's interesting. They can't meet their uh, their quota. So you know, hmm.
0: just know that be careful because maybe the draft. Who knows? Maybe you know. Maybe they're going to call us up. I'm a little old. Yeah, I am too. Little, by, little by the way, if they, those days. if they knew my about my plantar fasciitis, they'd like they'd pass on me. But you said that's passing it it, you know what it was totally passing until the other day when i went running i went running to get my seat at a basketball game
1: oh so you weren't running for health no i was running
0: from the parking lot because we were a little bit late all right and you know blew it out but hey it's getting better it's getting better
1: well actually it never actually gets better it'll be there you'll it'll flare up from time to time is that true
0: mine does yes well don't say that that's negative well it's not it's more truthful than negative well i don't need the truth (laughs) I had the truth for two and a half years. Um so we got a great show. Again, uh prisoners. I went to the prison and I get to speak there a lot. It, it there it's full. It's full. And in fact in Utah's a weird situation because they're trying to move the prison. And the weirdest thing, a lot of people don't want it. You'd think it would be great. But a lot of the cities where they're trying to move the prison, they don't want it. Not, not in, in our neighborhood. Not in my backyard. Not in my backyard. Right. So we're going to talk about that a little bit later. We're going to have one of our state representatives on board uh, to talk to us. I mean, about just the simple concept of trying to to house all of these prisoners, and then we're going to have Professor Stephen Barr join us. He's going to walk us through his lessons uh, as an academic studying um, prisoners and and how we help rehabilitate. Anyway, we're going to get into all of it today. We'll take a break. When we come back, we're jumping in, my friends. We're going in deep. Dr. Stephen Barr will be joining us right here on the Matt Townsend Show on BYU Radio. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Today we are talking about prisoners. And, um, you know, we, if you think about all of the shows that involve crime, CSI, we have this incredible passion across our country to, uh, to catch people, to, to get them arrested, to put them in jail. We watch the news. We hear all of these police reports. All of this is going on. But behind every one of those situations, there is a prisoner. That eventually will make it inside a prison, and the United States has the highest prison population in the world, with over 2 million people imprisoned, as reported by the International Center for Prison Studies. There exists a variety of edifices for housing prisoners, including jails, prisons, penitentiaries juvenile detention facilities, military prisons. How many times do we hear about Guantanamo and the prisoners uh, from the war that are there as well? Well, uh, now, and there are some, by the way, who are sentenced to life, but most will eventually leave. The question is simply, once the offender leaves the prison, what now? Professor of Sociology here at Brigham Young University, Stephen J. Barr, has pursued the answer to this question, welcome uh Stephen Barr. welcome to the matt Townsend show.
5: thank you. It's good to be here.
0: great to have you, a good friend of the show as well and uh what what are you finding out first of all, two million people in prison That's a that's, big deal
5: That's a lot of people yes
0: and And what are you finding out? Do we do a very good job at reforming
5: um well, that's hard to answer no, I guess the short answer is no no <laughs> I mean when everybody yeah almost 95 percent of those that go into prison eventually come out. I guess maybe we don't think about that when you put them in. But the question is, when they actually get out, are they better off? Are they able to take care of themselves and not offend again? And uh, it's a difficult challenge given, you know, what they have been through. And and, uh, I think there's a lot of programs to help people. And, you know, I you know, I guess maybe we're I don't want to be too pessimistic but but uh, and some of those programs do a very good job, but yeah, we could do a lot better.
0: I mean, six hundred thousand people are released yearly right back into society and and yet um, we maybe don't do such a great job. but what what are some of those ways that that you're finding as you research this what are you what are you noticing are the problems what what are the what's where is it so difficult
5: um well. One is drugs. Um, a large percentage of people have a drug problem of some kind, and they get back and get uh, swept into that again.
0: Yeah. Uh, so I mean, so in prison, you're taking them away from the drug, but you're not dealing with the underlying issue that's driving them to drugs. Right. Exactly. Like, like uh, could be past abuse. They're trying to self-medicate. I know when I go there, I, I spoke at a graduation at the Utah State Prison for those that went through the drug program, and the numbers were, were crazy. I think it was 80% of the people in the drug program had either been abused as a child, had some uh, kind of mental illness or something that they were medicating, anxieties, depressions, ADHD kind of things, and then or, um, or they were just addicted.
5: Right, right. And a lot of them do have, uh, you mentioned mental illness, what we call co-occurring disorders. They have some mental issue, mental health issue, and drug abuse, and they kind of go together.
0: Mm. And, and and are they—is it—it seems like they're they're trying—they're smoking pot because they have anxiety or they're, uh, they're using meth because they're trying to feel what it—they're the, trying to create the chemistry to be able to think straight. I mean, is it—and I mean, then I guess it turns into an addiction. But is it just that they don't have care? They don't have access? They didn't have— early intervention?
5: Um, They probably didn't have the early intervention. Most of the ones that I have interviewed have had some, as you suggested, some underlying issue, personal issue, and the drugs were a way to deal with that.
0: Mm. Uh, Just kind of mask it, get away from it.
5: Right, right, exactly.
0: So if we don't deal with the drug issue, we're really going to just send a certain percentage of them out there that are going to go back to their typical fix.
5: Right. And some of the treatments we have now have been designed to deal with that because Good. like they have a thing called drug court now, which some of the uh, judges across the country have started because people would come in, get sentenced, go to jail, kind of dry out while they're in jail, uh, get to released, and then get back into the same thing again because they did not deal with the underlying problems and the addiction.
0: Hmm. I mean, that seems like it's. It seems like that's you'd want to put people that have drug issues. You'd want to maybe differentiate them from those that are actually offender, violent offenders, or those that have done other crimes. You don't necessarily want them learning the tricks of the trade,
5: right? Huh. And they attempt to do that. They have in the prisons programs to to try to deal with this.
0: Yeah. What What else are you learning in all of your research? Um. And, and does it matter age difference? Is the juvenile system? Do a better job at you know at at, at helping these children to not re- react.
5: Uh, the juvenile system is a little more uh, paternalistic; they kind of take more of a parental role rather than just a justice role. But I think that basically, I think we have a similar set of problems. Hopefully, we get them a little earlier in the juvenile system. But um, yeah, I don't know that that they do any better in the juvenile system than they do in the adult system. Is it a similar kind of problem?
0: Where do you see in the recent study you published? You listed six contributing factors to the reintegration process of these newly released prisoners. What are those? The, the six contributing factors we need to watch out for.
5: Uh, well, when people get released, um, first of all, they. Uh, have the drug issue, which I talked about. So yeah. they need some kind of drug treatment, and that's a problem. And that's a problem for employment too. Uh, secondly, is they need some way to support themselves, a job. Yep, they need and to a lot have of money. Don't yeah. have good education and and skills, so they go back and they you know don't have a way to get get a job unless they get you know some help there. So that's uh, certainly an issue. And even if they had skills before, if they've been out of the job market for a while because they in prison, their skills are obsolete. Mm-hmm. Third, they have the stigma of being a, a convicted felon, and that makes it hard for them to, to get a job. Uh, many of them have, uh, uh, let's call it mental health issues. Like one person I know, he was able to get a good job, uh, but he... Got in a conflict with somebody at work and hit him in the face.
0: Yeah, they he d- yeah. They don't have like the coping skills. Right, they don't... the
5: coping skills to, to deal with conflict. And in prison, you know, you there's more of a culture of you got to uh, get respect by showing that you're tough. Yeah, yeah. And that that didn't work uh, on the job. So there's there's uh, that issue. Uh, and so when you put all of those together, uh, that's a difficult. Thing to deal with when they have the drug risk the lack of job skills, the stigma, the mental health uh, problems uh, and, and learning to cope with those. Uh, and then I guess the, the other thing is the, uh, the family uh, neighborhood situations. Some of them beforehand, they have lied, cheated, stolen from their family members so much their family members won't let them live with them. So where do they go? Yeah. Uh, And other ones have family members who say, sure, but some of those family members use drugs and so on. So they get back in a situation where they get uh, uh, brought back into tempted to use drugs because that's around them. So,
0: I mean, it really is. It's it's more of a systemic problem, right? It's not like it's and it's complicated. So it always seems as humans that we choose the quick solution Ah, throw them in jail. But the reality is you can throw them in jail, but this is bigger than a drug problem or this is bigger than the crime they committed. In a way, they they don't have the job. There is the stigma. They have the mental health issue. They're still going to Medicaid. They don't have the friends to, to teach them right. They don't have all the coping skills. And a lot of the coping skills, you can't teach them outside of – you can't teach them necessarily inside prison. Right. Because right. they're not they, – they almost need to – that's, I guess, the benefit of the halfway kind of house or the parole program. Because yeah. they somehow, but again, you still need, you need skills, you need tools. It's almost right. like you just need a mentor. You need somebody that can be there with you more to push back on you.
5: And that's that's exactly, and, and, and sometimes a program can be great, but then when they leave the prison and get out, unless they have some kind of follow-up or aftercare support, it's very easy to, you know, I've interviewed people and they say, I'm not coming back, I'm not coming back, you know, and... Uh, but then you interview me a year later, and they got rearrested and sent back. Right. And, and you ask him why, and he said, well, you know, I got discouraged and couldn't find a job, and one of my old friends called and started yep. drinking, you know. And so they get discouraged and get uh, sucked into situations where they're tempted and uh, just because they haven't been able to find a job. So.
0: Well, I think, I mean, you know, it's funny, and we we go back to D.C., and we hear about mandatory minimum sentencing. We hear about all of these you know things three strikes you're out and yet again it might be trying to find a quicker fix than would actually work in such a complex situation i mean th- this is seriously complex systemically yeah. yes and and maybe you know one legislation's not going to work and it's interesting it's it's going to be interesting to see what happens in all of these states that are legalizing drugs um or at least marijuana because Some of these people may have even gone to prison for multiple or, you know, a lot of drug arrests or paraphernalia arrests. And I mean, do you sense that that's going to change anything in some of those states? Uh,
5: It doesn't look like it. I mean, when you talk about drugs and their relationship to crime— I guess there are several things. Now, if they legalize it, then people won't get arrested and put in jail for possessing a drug because it's no longer illegal.
0: Right. But um, they, they'll still maybe need to rob to get the drugs. I mean, they still need the money, and if they don't have a job.
5: Right. So they still does not have those those problems. Yeah. And then there's still the issue of the, the effect of the drug on their behavior. I mean, how many people go to prison because they drink and drive? Oh, yeah. And alcohol is illegal, and yet it still is a a really serious problem in terms of drinking and driving and domestic violence and drinking and a lot of uh, crime associated with that.
0: Well, I mean, it's an interesting take. I just saw on the news a man just received a life sentence for his 10th DUI. Right. But, I mean, to me, that's crazy. Yes. (laughs) There's the example of the system that the DUI system is probably not working to actually stop DUI.
5: And I just think we we need to be a little more creative in what we do with violators and the length of their sentence. And like you say, if you just put them in jail, does that help solve the problem when they get out? And most all of them will get out.
0: Oh, yeah. Well, um, I, it's it's uh, it really is a complex thing. And, and as a professor, what made you choose this area of study?
5: Well, when I was in graduate school, I started uh, studying this and took some classes. And I guess uh, some of the things that you just mentioned you look at the number of people in prison and the number that get out and almost everybody gets out yeah and and then just that question is what are we doing to help them when they get out and it's been very interesting to to look at the different programs and 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 of course why do we put so many people in prison to begin with you mentioned the three strikes laws yeah I mean those are well-intentioned in the sense that a a a small number of people commit a large number of crimes and so the idea is if you after three felonies should we put them away for a long period of time but as you say it's not that simple and we've no. ended up just giving a lot of people long sentences without really helping them
0: Well yeah and then and then all of a sudden you're in I mean a drug you're into a major drug arrest or whatever and then you're away for years 20 years whatever yeah. the number is it's just, I mean, it's our, if our goal is to heal and to reform some of these people, we need a different plan. Let's take a break. Again, we're, we're speaking here with Stephen J. Barr. He's a professor of sociology at Brigham Young University and the associate dean in the College of Family, Home, and Social Sciences. We'll take a break when we come back. I'm going to have him explain another uh, nonprofit organization that he's working with called Real Victory. Uh, they're trying to find more creative ways to help offenders when they're out. One way is uh, follow-up phone calls, messages of support from friends and family throughout the day. Powerful stuff. More with Dr. Stephen Barr and uh, the state of our prisons right here on The Matt Townsend Show. Townsend show interesting topic today we're talking about prisoners and the likelihood that they actually will reform you know recidivism rates are pretty high we may not be having as uh, as uh, deep of an impact on these prisoners as we'd like to and again you I mean you know you can be mad you can be put them in the prison lock the doors the reality is 95% of them are going to get out. And if they get out and they haven't actually learned how to cope, how to adjust, if they haven't been able to deal with their addictions, their lack of jobs, the stigma, the mental health issues, their friends, if they don't have the coping skills, folks, it's not going to get better. And uh, here in Utah, we're facing a really interesting idea because we're trying to move our prison that's been there for uh, about 100 years. I don't know. And nobody wants to move it. So, you know, it needs to be moved. There's money involved. It's it's a big deal. And we just keep throwing more money at it without fixing the problem. We've asked uh, one of the professors here at Brigham Young University to join us. His name is Dr. Stephen J. Barr. He's a professor of sociology at Brigham Young University, is the associate dean in the College of Family, Home, and Social Sciences, and uh, he's teaching us about, you know, different ways, different things we might want to focus on uh, to reduce recidivism. Uh, again, Dr. Barr, thanks for joining us. It's my pleasure. Talk to us about—I I know um, you, you published an article with a nonprofit organization called Real Victory. Right. Can you explain a, a little bit more about that organization?
5: Okay. Well, I'm—my I'm, uh, involvement was mainly as an evaluator of the program. So I was not involved, you know, in the developing of the program. Mm-hmm. But it's a, f- a fairly uh, innovative but simple concept. Um, it's a two-pronged approach. Let me say, first of all, that there have been a lot of studies in what they call cognitive behavioral uh, treatments. Yeah. And they tend to be effective. They teach people uh, how to think a little more clearly as well as some skills. And the Real Victory program uh, teaches uh, some classes using the cognitive behavioral approach to help them identify uh... thinking errors uh... help them look at uh, and usually they just ask them you know where are they what do they want to do where they want to be yeah and then are your behaviors getting you where you want to be and most of them they'll say no and then they trace back in these series of classes to help them analyze what they could do differently maybe some of their beliefs that are that are uh... leading them to. Uh, down a path they don't want to go.
0: Are these classes...
5: There's a series of classes first where they uh, focus on that and teach them that.
0: In prison? Uh, While they're in prison, or is this when they get out?
5: uh, This could be either one. Oh, wow. The the ones that that I evaluated was mostly youth, and some of them were on probation. Okay. Some of them were in lockdown facilities where they were taught this.
0: But what it is is it's... So cognitive behavioral therapy is where they, they work on... How your thinking impacts your behaving, and it's it's really. It sounds like they're kind of coaches. They yes. They go in and they coach these kids or these adults in how to think through it, figure out what their goals are, and start creating you know a pattern of, or habits that will produce success.
5: Right now, there's a lot of cognitive behavior programs out there, but they sure. use this, and then near the end of this, they have them set some goals that they want to achieve. And there's research that shows, you know, when people set goals, they tend to do better, and they also identify some kind of short-term steps that will lead them to their goals, and then, and then at the end of that, they're giving given a cell phone, a phone coach, uh, and this is a system where they set up these these uh, short-term goals, and they're called twice a day, and they're asked how. Uh, how well they're doing at reaching one of their short-term goals, Hmm. how much effort they put into it. Uh, And and it's automated, so this is recorded on a server. And then uh, family members and support people can leave messages on this, just like you leave a phone mail message. Oh, great. And depending on how they respond, they can hear a support message uh, from a family member. And the idea here is that, as I suggested, one of the big problems is follow-up and aftercare. So you bet. might do well in the treatment program, and then they're on their own. Mm-hmm. Well, this cell phone program is designed to provide follow-up through the cell phone, so twice a day that they're called, and it helps remind them of the goals that they set uh, and how they're doing. Oh, that's great. I mean, and, and so that's so great. It's a way to try to use technology, and everybody has cell phones nowadays, to kind mm-hmm. of help follow up on the goals that they set for themselves.
0: I mean, it seems like some of the things that a parole officer could be doing, but they're not trained, that's not their job, and yet, so we, it's funny, we have parole officers that are supposedly going to follow up, but they're not following up twice a day.
5: Right. The problem is parole officers, they they might do a wonderful job, yeah. but they might have 100 cases. Right. Uh, and so they can't follow up every day like that. And so this provides kind of a daily reminder, a follow up of of the things that they've learned and their own goals that they have set.
0: Well, really, and this is the creativity, I guess you're you're, you're talking about. We need more solutions like this that 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 can be brought into to, to that very fragile space between, I guess, when they're being released and they have to reintegrate. Right. I uh, mean, it, it's is it. I'm assuming there are more programs like this, and who pays for this?
5: Uh, well, this particular one, uh, we had some grants to help pay for it initially, yeah. And we had some some uh, donations from companies that wanted to help out, basically provide the cell phone service for them, yeah, and donated cell phones. So uh, just just to test it out, but in the long run, the the uh, the state or the agency or the people would pay for this themselves. And, of course, in the preliminary stuff that we looked at, it was very cost effective. I mean, for rather than keeping somebody in jail or have him come back, uh, it's a relatively small fee to provide this cell phone to help follow up uh, in addition to their other parole and things.
0: Well, you can see that they through this program they could probably start addressing other issues, like maybe have other trainings on drug addictions or obtaining a job or handling the stigma of it you know yeah. so i mean and then have somebody that could integrate all of the different uh, kind of a customized solution it really i guess that's part of the problem huh we try to just hand everybody a one size fits all and yet even just in my own experience speaking in, in a in a prison everybody's got such a different story yes yeah. and, and so this kind of at least gives you a, an individual Coaching approach,
5: right? You have individuals leave the messages, and you set up your own goals, right? And yeah, you can have a therapist or a probation officer if they get permission. You know, look on this, and if somebody is um, notices that they're not meeting their goals or they're very discouraged, and that shows up, they could follow up on them quickly.
0: Well, and it's I, I look at it too. Um, a lot of families, for example, that. Have their children that have you know gone to the prison and are in there because of bad choices or mistakes, you know we just sometimes want to just i guess as the state hand them back to their families, but these families are tired of it they've they 've been battling this for twenty years, thirty years, and they don 't necessarily have the skills, so we need some other options huh
5: yeah, yeah, they really need help, and like i said i 've talked to a lot of people who have have uh, their family members love them and want them to succeed, but but they're kind of discouraged because this particular family member has been in prison or jail multiple times. And said, I'm going to do better. And they don't like I said, and they lie to them and they steal from mm-hmm. them, and they just uh, are at a point where they don't know what to do. Yeah. Or
0: so. What when you think about it too? I mean, as a researcher, is there anything else? that uh, that we all kind of need to know about it. I mean, it's, I guess it's, we're, uh, you know, we get frustrated. We, we can't believe some of the crime that's going on. But what, what do we just need to know as average citizens about how we can play a part in this, help better? What do we need to worry about with our own family members?
5: Well, I, th- I think uh, realizing that everybody has problems, and sometimes when you're in the problem, you don't perceive of the, of the different alternatives that are available to you and the types of support, and therefore go out and make some stupid decision. Yeah. So I think maybe be a little more attentive to the problems that family members and others have. When I when I interview people and ask them, you know, how did this first start? It's amazing that most of them, as you suggested had some kind of a, a problem. Uh, you know, they had a divorce. Uh, you know, they had an accident. Uh, you know, they you know had a marriage that that failed Mm -hmm. various stresses one of them was raped and so on and and then dealing with those issues being sensitive and dealing with those issues Uh, and you as you suggest a lot of times people don't deal with those
0: no it's the mental health side it's almost like we don't quite know what to do we know that something's wrong we know they're not quite right and then we don't know what to do Um, and then they you know we kind of lose them they slip away we see that a lot. It's, I mean, in fact, a lot of news stories you find out of shooting or whatever ends up being somebody that, again, had mental health issues as yes. well.
5: yeah, many of them do.
0: It's, it really is. It's, a, it's an important thing. And I guess
5: the other thing yeah. is, is not to uh, segment into us versus them. Right. Because all of us have these problems, and when I interview these prisoners personally, most of them, not all of them, but most of them seem like pretty good people. Mm-hmm. They just were in situations and made some stupid decisions.
0: Yeah, I mean, really, it's and it might simply have been, you know, you were one degree away, you were one moment away, that you may have had a, a parent that maybe was more attentive or a stronger, you know, network around you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we're all we all have the potential to to take that slide. Uh, Well, I appreciate it. I really do. And again, um, Professor Stephen J. Barr is a professor of sociology here at BYU. Keep up the great work, my friend.
5: Well, thank you. It's good to talk to everyone. Thank
0: you. Take care. Really interesting, interesting work. And folks, it's one thing to just think you can throw people in a prison and all's going to be well. The reality is they're coming out. 95% are going to come out. Are we going to be able to find ways to help them be to be better. In fact, one of the things I guess I would suggest you do is also talk to your legislators. Do what you can to push better programs. You know, talk about them. Be a resource when your friends, neighbors, all your people around you are talking about their child that that has issues that needs help. Get involved. Be more involved and try to understand a little bit more what's going on and what the resources are out there tough stuff, tough stuff. We're going to take a break. When we come back, we're going to uh, make a call to one of our state legislators here, Representative Brad Wilson. He's in our state legislature here in uh, the great state of Utah. And he's dealing with a really uh, big issue of trying to move the Utah State Prison. And I wanted to talk to him about what, what are all the, what's everybody saying? It's a state institution, and yet no one in the state seems to want it. Isn't that ironic? We still want to throw people in prison. But nobody wants the prison in their backyard. Interesting lessons. We'll take a look when we come back. You're listening to the Matt Townsend Show right here on BYU Radio. Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. Hey, as we've been talking about prisoners and, uh, you know, the recidivism rate and helping them reform, one of the things that came uh, to my mind is um, some, a problem we're having here in Utah. And I don't know if other places across the country are struggling with this, but we have some pretty old facilities, uh, prison facilities they're costing a lot of money. They're going to cost even more to refurbish them if we want to refurbish them. In fact, it would probably be cost prohibitive in some cases. So in Utah, they've decided to move the state prison, and they've paid a million dollars to a consulting firm to uh, help find a new state-of-the-art location to for this prison. And yet, nobody seems to want the prison in their backyard. It, again, it's a service you'd think that, you know, it's going to employ a lot of people. Uh, there's going to be a lot of, um, I guess, probably grant money, government funds going there, a lot of stuff. And yet a, most of the cities that are uh, proposed sites end up having some, some serious problems with this. So we wanted to talk to one of our state legislators to, to basically get a feel for this You know, are we being good neighbors, you know, or not? It's a pretty basic question. We've asked Representative Brad Wilson to join us. Brad Wilson is a representative for the state of Utah House of Representatives, and uh, he has um, been involved in this process, and he's now here to help us figure out what's going on. Brad, welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Uh, good morning matt so good to have you
7: fan it's nice to be with you
0: it's great to be with you and we appreciate you you're i mean you guys are in you're in session right now you guys are you're you're working the deals up on capitol hill
7: in fact uh you 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 rescued me this morning i've (laughs) already been in a a budget meeting for an hour and i got a chance (laughs) to step out
0: for a minute oh you're great well representative wilson we appreciate you um Talk about this prison move thing. One thing, you know, there's some pretty prime real estate that it is currently located on that seems to be one driving thing here. And then it should try to move it along with the fact that the buildings are aging, so it'll cost more to refurbish it than to, than to just build a new one. What's your take on this? And, and what are you hearing from the rest of the, the people in the state?
7: Well, it's been a really interesting topic. I've been involved with or chairing this commission now for three years, and uh, these are not always the most exciting topics in terms of reforming criminal justice systems or building new prisons, but uh, here in Utah, we're on the brink of making some pretty significant changes uh, that are going to impact uh, taxpayers and people that live here uh, in a pretty important uh, way. And. And I guess what I would say is there's a sort of convergence of issues that have happened. Um, in the last 50 years, we've learned a tremendous amount about how the criminal justice system works and how to reduce recidivism. The problem is uh, the, the lion's share of the facility we have in our current prison was built a generation ago. Yeah. and
0: so, Kind of old school.
7: Yeah, old school. Lock to, them in. To say the least. Yeah. and. But you know, the tough thing is for taxpayers. Um, we we pay for these people to go through this revolving door, and uh, we know there are practices, best practices out there, that if we employ, uh, lessen people going back into prison and, and help them become more self-reliant. And and so, in a lot of ways, that's what uh, uh, this is is all about. And we've had this pretty comprehensive set of changes that have come our way that uh, really. Perfect timing because we need to build a new prison as well, and yeah we're going to build it somewhere else,
0: and you're going to build it so that i guess it's it's more conducive to different types of programs that might increase the the reformation rate, the ability for them to actually reform and change
7: yeah that that that's right you know right now, uh you know whether it's uh, uh dealing with substance abuse issues or other challenges that these inmates have. Um, some of the counseling actually occurs in the hallways.
0: Uh, yeah. Oh, I, know. no. I've seen it. I, I have totally seen it there. <laughs> and I mean, again, not a great place to open up. You know, you no, need the privacy no, of walking. having a door shut walking. so that right. everyone else doesn't know you're having the breakdown.
7: Yeah. It's 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 not good. And and both for the offender that's there as as well as the taxpayers, we can do uh, a lot better.
0: So well, and like you're saying too, got. I guess though, know, if you can if you can increase the or decrease the recidivism you can um you can probably save long term on how much we're spending per prisoner, yeah, so
7: it's, it's a win win for everyone. factor
0: that in uh, were you surprised at how many cities are are so adamantly against this, fighting against it, not in my backyard
7: Well, you know it's interesting. I actually had um we we have a second prison in the state it it houses a couple thousand inmates down in a town called Gunnison, right. And I had the mayor and the city council and the county commissioners up in my office last Friday afternoon, and it's interesting. We located the prison there about 20 years ago, and at the time, there was a lot of uh, concern and opposition down there, but uh, we ended up putting it there. And they came up to meet with me because um, it has been one of the best things for their community, and they want us to expand uh, the prison down there. Really? And we can't put the replacement of the entire state uh, prison population from Utah and Gunnison. But uh, there's just this narrative. Sometimes it's not completely accurate. This is probably the safest facility you could ever have in your right. community. Right. And, you know, the other thing that's interesting, Matt, is uh, prisons of yesteryear look very different than prisons of today. Yeah. Uh, prisons of today... Uh, look a lot more like a a medical facility or a a college campus um, or a school campus than these big prisons we see with big, big fences and and guard towers. So uh, this prison, when we rebuild it, it's a 4,000 bed facility. We'll have 1,200 jobs that go with it Mm. and uh, it will be a, a boon for wherever it goes.
0: Well and it's um you need the community. I live in Draper and my neighborhoods, my church, we we all go serve in the prison regularly, but you need a strong community support because th- those prisons need volunteers, they need access to the families need to be able to get there.
7: Yeah, you know, that's right, Matt. And we have um uh, we're very fortunate here. We have over 1000 volunteers a week oh, wow. in time in our main 4000 bed facility. And uh, we also need to be close to a level one trauma center as well. That's and, true, huh? Uh, courts and uh, employees. I mean, employees are the backbone of, of the operation. So there's this balancing act that we're uh, trying to find. But um, uh, the, where the prison is right now is just not the right place for it. So we've got to find a better spot.
0: Now, when it moves, uh, one, of the, one of the complaints is a lot of people just say, you're doing this to get the real estate because that the real estate where the prison currently sits is right off of I-15, and there's a lot of big money on that property that could be made. Um, how much of this is just a money decision?
5: Well, the,
7: the, the rebuilding the prison, it will probably pay for itself within just a few years because of the incremental tax revenue that will come from economic development uh, right. in that area. But the, the fact is we have to rebuild uh, our prison.
0: You either have to it rebuild just, it on spot or move it and rebuild it. Yeah,
7: yeah, and it's just not the right spot for it anymore. Right. I mean, that's between two of the most uh, populous, high-tech growth areas of our state. In fact, there was an article in the New Yorker yeah. uh, two weeks ago that talked about uh, that area being the Silicon Slopes uh, yeah. uh, uh, of, of the United States, and so
0: <laughs> and the prison's right in the prison. middle of our Silicon Slopes.
7: Yeah, probably doesn't make a tremendous amount of sense to build it there. But uh, yeah. we're excited about the opportunity to reform our criminal justice system with this new facility wherever it goes.
0: Well, I appreciate your courage. I mean, it's a big deal to take on all of these these communities that you're going to. And yet, as somebody that gets to work in it, I, in a way, I, I go there about every quarter. And it's I, it's one of my greatest moments. There is some incredibly powerful change taking place when you let it. And uh, so I, I I will miss it, um, but you know, good luck to you because you're still you still are you still need to fight the fight, don't you? Yeah, that's
7: right, and we, it's going to work out fine. I'm confident. But it's interesting if you go into a lot of these old prisons around the country, ours here in Utah, for example, um, you, you see how just they just can't really work well for helping people get better, and right. Get better to, to take care of right. themselves. But the other sense, and I think you've probably had this, Matt is you go in there and you see these people who have a lot of potential yeah, and a lot of potential to do good and to take care of themselves and their families, Um, but something's happened to them that's got them on the wrong path. And government's not always the solution, but the fact of the matter is they are kind of our responsibility at that point when they're in those facilities. And with the help of volunteers, with the help of the right programming and the right facility – uh, we can uh, make it a win for the inmates, the families of the inmates, yeah. the taxpayers, and and uh, that's what we're trying to do here.
0: Brilliant. Well done, and I appreciate it. Representative Brad R. Wilson, he's the majority assistant whip uh, up at the Utah State Legislature. He's, he's out there knocking it out day in, day out, dealing with these issues. Appreciate your work. And again, a complex issue. And that's what's funny about uh, all of these issues. We we tend to just think it's just we're moving the prison. You're not. You're moving an entire system, an an ecosystem, really, and um, a lot of other things that go with it. So we got to think it through. We are going to take a break, my friends, wrap up the second hour of the Matt Townsend program. When we come back in the next hour, we're going to address yoga. A form of uh, finding yourself, meditation, uh, along with a bunch of other stuff. Plus, the guys from BYU Sports Nation will be with us as well. We're out of here for this hour. Back in just a break. This is the Matt Townsend Show on BYU Radio. <laughs> friends welcome to the third hour of the matt townsend show six past the hour tons of fun today wow have are you ready for yoga universe these guys have been stretching out limbering up a bit appreciate it terry's been he's actually put on some of your yoga pants really are those yoga pants those are nice i hope not uh we'll be talking about yoga a little bit later in the show and then also again we got to check in with the guys from uh, BYU Sports Nation. In fact, it, w- interesting question we're going to ask them, what is their favorite yoga pose? I I already have it.
1: I said it in on the pre-show meeting last yeah. week.
0: Yoga. D- they do a lot of yoga? Yeah. Don't they, they? they? That's how they decompress before the show. You know, I um I know that they're really big into the wounded peacock pose. Really? Yeah. Yeah, that's, and then they like they caw, caw, and they flop around on the ground. <laughs> All right, I don't know that that's the noise a peacock makes. Right. I don't know. It could. It's a bird. I've never wounded a peacock. Right, but uh, it's a great pose, and we'll hear more about that. But first, let's get to the headlines. Other news? Yes. Jeb it, Bush got his
1: mom's permission to run for president.
0: <laughs> so um, weird. There was hey, a. Uh, th- that's not. It's kind mom, of mom. Mom. Mom, I really would like Mom. to be able to
2: run for president. When do I get to be president? Yeah. When's it my turn? Come on.
1: George did it. <laughs> she said a couple of years ago that there have been too many Bushes. Yeah. She did. That, yeah. That, that her family doesn't need to be the franchise when it comes to running for president. Right. So she said, you know, give somebody else a chance. Come on. And now she's reversing that saying that she supports her son and whatever he hopes to do type of thing. So
0: it's like it's like the swing said, come on. You got to get off the swing. We got to let other people have a chance. But that's neat. He, It's neat that he cared enough to ask his mom,
1: and then they
0: publicized it.
1: I think somebody else asked his mom, but she finally said it on okay, good. She was joining a, a uh, luncheon over Skype or something. I don't know. Yeah. But she gave him permission, so now it's up to Jeb. It's his decision. Good.
0: But see, I bet you there were people like, I'm not, no, I'm not going against Barbara. Right. Barbara didn't want him to run so I'm not going to vote for him so they had to probably clear that up.
7: I'm kind of a big deal. <laughs> it's
0: kind of a big deal. <laughs>
1: kind of a big deal. Um, also, federal government closed today in DC because Yay! of snow. They just ex-
4: Alleluia, Alleluia, Alleluia.
1: They extended the uh, the holiday. So this is because they love presidents? No. Weather. 6 to 8 inches of snow probably. Okay, 6 to 8 inches or could, 4 to 8, could I don't know. Crush. D.C. Yes. Absolutely. So they're they're erring on the side of caution. All the schools are closed. There's
0: a... See,
2: we don't need a no-fly zone there anymore.
0: No. <laughs> right. Nobody's doing anything there. But see, I don't know that we ought to let our, our enemies in on this knowledge. That we're closed? That we're closed, A. But B, that six inches of snow can shut down the federal government. Right. Right. They you seed, don't even need bombs. Just seed the clouds. Seed the clouds. Yeah. And you'll also, own us. Also, Send uh, in the clouds. What they're
1: saying: Kentucky, Tennessee, North Carolina, and Virginia, all with uh, several inches of snow. Wow. And they, they're putting out what do they call it? Emergency declarations from the states. Are you kidding? Lucky, yeah. lucky. So it's, I mean, a, it sounds it's, it's a snow day for everyone. Stay off the roads. And here
0: in Utah, nothing. Desert. <laughs> We're laying out <laughs> with tanning lotion. Seriously, on. my car had it, on the temperature. It was eighty degrees. I think it's it's, when? A, it's a black car, Sunday, sitting under the sun. You're kidding me. Inside, it probably got up to 80 degrees. My wife wanted to take the kid and go to the pool this weekend.
1: Really? Yeah, like pool? Pool? It's still a little chilly for that. No, no. We don't have outdoor pools. We have some indoor pools yes. in our neighborhood. Oh, we've got Yeah, I've got that. That's but, I mean, good. you don't think of that in the middle
2: of February. No, I do. Yeah. The indoor. I think of the indoor pool. I need a hot tub. Hmm. Okay,
1: and uh, I just wanted that
2: out there. You'll have to go ask Don to see if we can put one in the corner over here.
1: Yeah, after every show, we could just go talk about the show in the hot tub. Another story that had me sort of laughing over this weekend: a 20 year old from Georgia, mm-hmm. his name's Benjamin Miller, mm. gored by a bull. Ow! He uh, was. It says he was gored and tossed aside. What was he doing with the bull? He was running.
0: Running away from it's the bulls. It's what bowl? you
1: do in Spain. This wasn't Pamplona though. This was the Carnaval del uh, Toro. Oh, the minor leagues. Yes. Well, yes, he wasn't in the major league. Race. It was a county fair in Spain. Oh well, man, he's running but with
2: the bulls. When when did this happen? Was it was Just over it, the weekend. Really? Yeah. Because it is today is Fat Tuesday.
1: Right. So pardon, they they pardon? had these kind of celebrations to mm-hmm. commemorate. And that's think. what that's what the words Mardi Gras mean. Yeah. Fat Tuesday. By the way,
0: my wife is named Marty. I know. Uh, but she's not Gra. <laughs> Let's so, just get that clear. This, say, no you? is Gra, no S Gra. That's this, Spanish. This
1: young man from Georgia, three-hour surgery. Yeah, it oh, says he oh. needed to repair damage to his thighs, back muscles, and I'll just add other stuff. Ouch! Oh, jeez, it's bad. I don't the doc, get this. The doctor said the the entrance wound was the biggest he's ever seen. Wow! For someone who has survived. Mm. So well, he. Blah, blah. He blew his doctor's mind. So, yep. Mike, so, Matt, have you ever thought about running with the Bulls? Have you ever wanted to no, go do that? No, I think that's the dumbest wasn't thing it, in wasn't the world. Wasn't it Hemingway that wanted to do that? It yeah. was something he was mm-hmm. like on his bucket list but type of thing? Just so you know,
0: Hemingway's dead.
1: I understand this, but... But who does that? It's been romanticized. It's, it's
0: not. It's a bull. I've been around bulls. Right. I don't know why you want to you run in front of them. You don't want to go near a bull. That's just stupid. I mean, I get... You know, other things. You could do other things that would be more fun. Like, it's like running away from a truck. Okay. So the running st- of the Dodges. Oh, hmm. That's Ram. A great...
2: It's a Dodge Ram. Absolutely. Yeah, so exactly. It's, it, it, and it has a to horn, me it's doesn't it? the same it?
0: thing, except the, the difference with the Dodge is it doesn't have a horn that it can, like, manipulate. No, no it, it just a, has the horn to blow, honk, honk. blow you out of the way. <laughs> yeah, but you're just going to get hit by a grill. Yeah. But that this, could hurt more, though. You got a little. If you put a sharp grill on it, yeah, I don't get that. I have never understood that. Just the psychology of it. Or you, the, it always shows up on TV. You yeah. always see the video. And you Everyone... always see the one little guy in the white, flipped yeah. in his pajamas. Mm-hmm.
1: It is survival of the fittest. Yeah. Whoever's slowest or whoever's in back yeah. of the pack gets picked. Stay off. in front of the slow people. I only yeah. have
2: to run faster than the other guy.
1: Right. It's... I just, I don't understand. But, but when you hear things like that, there was a. A young man from from uh locally in utah here uh-huh. where he was gored and he ended up at the university of utah to kind of recover but, he, but oh
0: he, he was gored in spain he was gored in spain and they, brought they, him they back fixed here. him up
1: when he came back here and sort of recovered here but and then they asked he goes oh it's a once in a lifetime event and you have to like, well sure most gorings are right. you die yeah you get one shot and if you don't live
0: you're dead yeah so i i don't know the mentality there but that's what you, you know. Want to I think do. What, they're just trying to reinvigorate life because I'm sure you feel alive for that four second run. Do you have to get to that
1: border of losing your life to feel alive? No. Some people. Yeah.
0: But just join the rodeo.
1: Be a clown. Or just or sit on the, the back bowl? of a
0: bull. Okay. That would do it. Oh. <laughs> what do you do to
1: feel alive? Where do you go to go to the extreme? I use a lot of medication. Okay. <laughs>
0: <laughs> a little caffeine perks me right up. You know what? Uh, six kids makes me feel pretty alive. Mm-hmm. All right. Because they're like, hey, Dad, are going to move today? I'm like, sure. Are we going to move right you now? Mean,
2: like move the house? No, just move, oh, move your body. Like
0: get off the couch? But going out, playing football, tearing my plantar, stuff like that. Makes you feel alive. A little pain? A little pain. Bit- little pain dragging my leg. See that's interesting. I I don't want the fear of life to be my motivator. You know what I mean? Like I guess I guess you know what? In the United States you don't need a running of the bulls. You just need like a drive by. No. You just need someone to pull a gun on you. That's not worth it. I don't know.
1: I go to my uh my gym. Do and you? there's a half half the gym is ultimate fighting.
0: Is it really? Would yeah.
1: you ever get in there and no, do that? No. Absolutely not. No way. Here, kick me in the face. I'd rather run with the ball. <laughs> yeah, I just yeah. But you you see what the the people are doing, and they get such a rush know, out I of know. going out there and fighting another person. I'm just a different breed. I kind of like just watching TV. I'm good with that. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. I like to not threaten my life. But I like to I, read the news. I I see the people at bungee jump or oh, who. Crazy. Uh, do the what, the base jumping yeah. in cities that they the YouTube and yeah well I my, one of my later. dreams
0: was I was always going to be really alpha male and I was going to go fly. I wanted to be a pilot, so I went flying with my friend that had an acrobatic plane, and right after that, I spent what felt like six days in a plane with this man, but it was really like forty minutes, <laughs> and we were we were, doing, we were just doing flips and rolls and barrel rolls and I just decided right then, I'm not, I I don't, I don't want that. You don't do well with roller coasters either, do no, you? No, I or don't even go so. on. I mean, I used to. I used to love it. I used to find it all exciting until that guy blew my inner ear out, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. But uh, I guess I'm just turning into a wuss. Maybe it's because I have all these kids and I don't want to die. I don't know. People depend on you. They do. There you go. I mean, what would the Matt Townsend show be like if I wasn't here? Somebody else's show.
1: That'd be weird. <laughs>
0: They'd have to rename it. <laughs> we're, we're
2: contractually obligated to not answer that question. We, we
0: actually need to make sure that's in the contract. That if I die, the show has to stay named the Matt Townsend Show. Just for my kids. Absolutely. It's the only show they listen to. <laughs> Do you hear those crickets? Yeah. We got to get get a fumigator in here. Hey, uh, we're gonna take a break, my friends, and w- when we come back, we're gonna find another way. Maybe there's another way. To reinvigorate your life, other than running from the bulls, how about yoga? Heather Wing is going to join us. She's going to teach us uh, the power of yoga, the power of, uh, you know, how that could change your life. You know, it's turning into a huge business, my friend. Twenty-seven billion dollars a year is spent on yoga annually. Heather Wing's going to help us understand why. This is the Matt Townsend Show. You're listening to us right here on BYU Radio. Welcome back friends to the Matt Townsend show have you ever seen those uh, yoga classes again I've never seen one I keep feeling like I need to try this and then uh, I don't know if it's my con I don't know I don't know what it is but something in me says oh you can't do that no you'll get stuck you'll get stuck in that pose and that's how you're gonna die Matt that's how you're gonna die It's a booming industry. It's a booming um, business. Uh, As I said before the break, over $27 billion is spent on yoga products annually. CNN Money lists yoga instructor as the 10th best job in America. Isn't that wild? It's like a booming business. And I think part of it is simply humans are looking for peace we need peace. So meditation is going up. Corporate America all over is offering meditation classes, yoga classes, all of these tools to get their people focused and and back to the present. So we wanted to discuss it a little bit and figure out what is the big deal and see if we could kind of get the basics so we know how to approach this. So you, if you wanted to go try it, Maybe we could get some rid of some of your fears. We've asked Heather Wing to join us. She is a yoga instructor here on campus at Brigham Young University. And also, um is uh she's a professional instructor, which is it's a you know, that's a big deal. She's here to help us. Again, Heather Wing, welcome to the Matt Townsend show.
8: Thank you, madam. Happy to be here.
0: It's good to have you. And I I have wanted to do this because I've studied it. I've read that there's some that there's major Um, benefits to being able to have such control over your mind and your thinking and your breathing. But first of all, what's the big deal? Everybody's so into it.
8: I think you said it well when you said that people are looking for ways to increase peace and calm in their lives. Yoga is a great way to learn that. You practice it on your mat, and then it, it kind of naturally transfers to normal life off of your mat.
0: Yeah, no, no. we're careful because I'm Matt. So when you say practice it on me.
8: <laughs> I'm talking Matt with one
0: toe. Okay, good. You're yoga Matt.
8: Yes. But it, it, it's, about,
0: it's about centering yourself, right? It's about you're focusing on your breathing.
8: It is. So there are a lot of different types of yoga from really gentle yoga, which I think is what a lot of people think about when they yeah. think of yoga.
0: That's what I want to do.
8: Yeah, well, you would love it. I really think you I would. I don't know.
0: I think I really would. It's just getting over that, you know, <laughs> wearing tight clothes, sitting in a room and sweating.
8: <laughs> Look, you can wear sweatpants and a T-shirt. Okay. And we'll totally put you in Zen.
0: Okay, good. So <laughs> I don't have to wear tight clothes. Good. No. Okay. <laughs> That's half the battle. But but what else? So there's one type. is just kind of um, just the meditative type. And then is some more aerobic or what is that? How does it work?
8: Yes. So we have really gentle types, but the majority of of yoga practices that a person would go to generally are really active, where you're moving a lot and you're sweating a lot and you're holding poses thinking, oh, I I would love it if the teacher were to move me out of this pose or whatever. Yeah. But in all of that, with the um, intensity that you're physically experiencing, mentally you're focusing on your breath the sound of your breath, the feel of your breath, and you're really trying to, to maintain a mental focus on the present. Huh. And so for a time, you give yourself permission to let go of the things that happened earlier in your day, of the things that will happen later in the day, and to just be present and to um, relax even though you're in physically intense positions.
0: And yet that—so it's really mental conditioning and physical conditioning—
8: Absolutely. Perfectly said.
0: Can you fake it, though? It seems like a lot of us, I, I like, because the mental seems so core to making it through this world. Um, but I, I don't know. I, I could see that I wouldn't be focusing. I'd be focusing more on my position than my mind. So you just keep kind of working your way to more toward mental strength.
8: Right. Those that get into to yoga initially, so for beginners, a lot of times it's tricky to bring in the mental piece because they are focused on their alignment and their movement. And when the teacher's telling them to inhale and they're exhaling, (laughs) then they're kind of like, ah, Uh, how do I get my breath back? Slow down. down. Yeah. Right, right. But with the um, continued practice of yoga, the mental piece comes in. Hmm.
0: Then you get it. I mean, and then there's kind of no end to this because I've learned a little bit about the breathing, and I've learned, I'm telling you, it changes me. I, I, for the last five years, I hold these big events uh, and almost every, for the last five years, I've been sick for the big event uh, and, and then I'd go teach in front of like 1,200 people and for the last five years, I've been sick. And just breathing more effectively and, and watching you know, myself a little more carefully and learning about when I'm feeling stressed by my breathing and then changing my breathing, all of that has made me so much more calm.
8: Well, you bring up a really good point, and that is that usually in our lives, we allow the circumstances around us to influence how we're breathing. So, for example, if we get stressed out, then our breath will shorten and get faster. Or if we're running on a treadmill, our breath will naturally get faster. Yoga does it just the opposite. Yoga suggests that as we control our breath, as we choose how to breathe our emotions and our state of mind will follow that.
0: Hmm. Oh, wow. Where did, what's the history of yoga?
8: The history of yoga is kind of speculated upon in some points. Everybody pretty much agrees it's very old and it came from India. Okay. So developed, you know, 5th or 6th century BC is yep. generally kind of where it's placed. And then whether the practice was developed as a philosophy or a religion or a form of meditation or a physical practice or something else, that's kind of, you know, we don't really know that.
0: Right. But I mean, it could be, it is spiritual simply because you, if you can learn to be in the present and control more of your mind, it, it's, it's like meditation. It is meditation. It's almost, it can become spiritual like prayer.
8: It can. That's one of the things that a lot of people that I get to work with um appreciate about yoga is that it helps them to connect more with the serenity that can come when we connect with truth
0: yeah and, and and like i just know that i need if i'm involved and if i'm if i'm using my body with it i can connect more closely to the spirit than if i'm just sitting there yes so my body kind of needs to be in movement in order for that connection to happen and so it's a it's a very natural process we I mean I can even see that you could meditate and you could pray doing that you could even think of you know other things I mean I guess the ideal of it is to stay without thought or neutral or whatever but I guess in the end you make it what you need it to be
8: exactly well in yoga philosophy there are kind of eight limbs attached to the general philosophy of yoga and the third the third limb or the third, the third area, mm-hmm. is the physical practice, and that's what we do when we're moving and we're on our mats with one T. Yeah,
0: yeah, one T. <laughs>
8: doing the poses. The other limbs or the other areas all focus on connection with a higher power. So yoga acknowledges a higher power hmm. without naming that higher power, allowing for whatever people want to bring in. Right. And the whole thought is that as we combine the movement with patterns of behavior, with ways that we interact with other people, with ways that we speak internally to ourselves, that all of that helps us to connect and grow stronger in relating to our higher powers.
0: It's powerful. It's, it's, a, it's a more holistic approach. Each of those arms
8: mm-hmm.
0: brings in another component, it sounds like, of life.
8: Absolutely.
0: Hey, what's the deal uh, with Bikram yoga, or however you pronounce it?
8: Yeah, so Bikram yoga, or hot yoga, Mm -hmm. as a lot of people know it.
0: Uh, Some people call it Sweatfest 2015.
8: Oh, yes, which if you've been to a class, boy, you can understand that.
0: Oh, so the room's like 90 degrees or whatever.
8: Well, usually it's more like 105. Is it really? Yeah.
0: Okay, this is good for us?
8: (laughs) Well, those that do it really like it. You know, it wouldn't be good for everybody.
0: Yeah. I think it would feel great, though, to sweat a lot out.
8: Well, they say it's very cleansing. Yeah, it's more of a Western form of yoga, so it's not the poses that are done are still traditional. The way that they're put together, and then the environment that they're done in, are a little bit more modern. Mm-hmm. But it has quite a following.
0: Do at the end of the at the end of the session? Those are like ninety minute sessions, right?
8: Right, a full yoga class is ninety minutes.
0: Yeah, that's what I that's what I was going to go try is that one. Um, At the end, is there somebody that can help you to your car? (laughs)
8: Yeah, (laughs) they may need to have wheelchairs lined up outside of the studio doors. (laughs) Because
0: I'll be the guy on my you know in the fetal position, twitching. (laughs) It sounds honestly, and that's interestingly the one that's really attractive to me is the one where you go in there and you sweat it all out. I think that'd be great. Let's take a break. We're talking here with Heather Wing, uh, and Heather is a professional instructor, and she's, she's enlightening us, teaching us about the art, the, the practice of yoga, the philosophy, the history. When we come back, maybe some easy steps where we could start, how we should kind of find out uh, how we could go test yoga. More with uh, Miss Heather Wing when we come back on The Matt Townsend Show. to the Matt Townsend Show. Today, as we've uh, been winding up the third hour, we have been talking about yoga. You know, it's taking over the world. $27 billion is spent on yoga. I think a third of that has got to be yoga pants. My wife was uh, pricing yoga pants. Uh, They're expensive. And um, as are yoga mats. But I think you need one because we just... We had somebody in studio here that was talking about how where they practiced yoga, they had carpet, shag carpet, and you know, it smelled like a wet dog. But that's not the goal of yoga. Heather Wing is joining us. She is a professional instructor here on campus um, and at Brigham Young University. She's teaching us the the ins the outs of yoga. Welcome back, Heather. Thank you. Hey, where? Okay, so if 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 you're a newbie and you're going to go try yoga, what what are some recommendations you have for us?
8: To find a class that is on a beginner's level. Okay. So if you go to a beginner's class, typically they're a little bit shorter. Good. For someone who's brand new to yoga, an hour and a half can be a little intense. Yeah. And so if you can find a beginner's class, they're typically 45 minutes to an hour, and you have an instructor that will um present the class using more english words instead of the sanskrit names for the words. Yes. They'll also talk to you about alignment, help you get in and out of the poses safely and in an enjoyable way.
0: Do you what what does one wear to a yoga class? I mean, you said I could wear sweats. Yes. Is there a is there a dress standard? <laughs> you don't want to go underdressed.
8: No. <laughs> or overdressed probably. The uh, only requirement, really, is that you wear clothes that you can easily move in. So a lot of my students that are men will wear sweatpants, like I said, or pajama pants, or um, even board shorts. Mm-hmm. And then for women, they'll wear the same things. Or there are also yoga pants, like you mentioned. Yeah. And then a T-shirt that will let a person move. You don't want something that's too loose, like basketball shorts wouldn't work, because right. there are poses where you lift your feet up above your head. and. Yeah, that'd be... With move with gravity
0: right, 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 so you kind of you need to be comfortable, and then I mean, I guess you don 't need to worry about looking silly because everyone around you is doing the same thing
8: right, and one of the invitations with yoga is that you 're really kind of drawn into your own practice, and mm-hmm. so you 're not comparing yourself or noticing what others are doing.
0: What if you get the giggles
8: that happens
0: <laughs> in the middle of class like if I went with my wife and she said, okay, we will now do the Lord of the Dance pose, my wife would just start laughing.
8: Yes, that's very understandable. In fact, my husband felt like the model of control during his first yoga class that he didn't laugh. So if you <laughs> That was a the giggle, sign. Just, that's great. You just let him out and, and move on.
0: Okay. <laughs> And I guess, is everybody, like in a beginner's class, this would be people of all ages, all shapes, all sizes?
8: Absolutely. Some people feel a little bit nervous about going to yoga for the first time because they think, I've got to be able to touch my toes before I can walk into a yoga studio.
0: Yeah, that may never happen.
8: Right. Or I have to be able to, uh, you know, run five miles.
0: Yeah. No.
8: I have to be in shape. But yoga has so many different levels at which... The, the yogi can experience it, that really anybody in any shape, any level of health is invited to a yoga class.
0: Is it, um you know, is it, uh, is it Tai Chi? Is that in China where the, you see the senior citizens doing those moves and is that Tai Chi?
8: I think it is. Those I mean, really slow moves. Yeah.
0: Yeah. But to me, that, I have always thought that is so powerful because you're just keeping their body moving, and every one of those poses is probably meditative, and it's, it's physical exertion. They're working.
8: Yes. Well, and there are some really cool videos on YouTube of people that are in their 80s and 90s yeah. doing all of these funky yoga poses.
0: That's amazing. It is. Well, and it really has taken on, I mean, to a point now that you can become a professional instructor. What do you have to do to be an instructor?
8: There are various certifications that will be offered through certified yoga studios or yoga schools. They are typically certified through what's called the Yoga Alliance. It's a national board that sets the standards for yoga certification. And so during the training process, you have to fulfill a certain number of classroom hours where you're learning about various poses and how to do them safely and how to help students move into and out of them. Then you also have to do a set number of um, kind of Internship hours where you're teaching your own students. A lot of times you're doing it just in your own living room as you're getting mm. comfortable doing it. And then there is um, some time that's required where you're with a with a professional instructor and helping them do things like adjustments during their classes.
0: Is, is this a social event? I mean, do you interact?
8: You can interact before and after the yoga class. Okay. The actual class itself is silent. So the teacher oh, will speak Evan. and everybody else is quiet.
0: That is great. This is, it just reminds me of, because you all everyone kinda lines up. It just reminds me of like gym class when I was twelve, feeling awkward anyway. <laughs> and you're you're supposed to stretch out and your instructor's up front and he's about to call roll. I mean, maybe it just brings back those memories. But you're saying in the end it be it, it has the potential to not only be physically exhausting. And yet it's also spiritually connecting.
8: Right. In fact, if a person experiences yoga just as the physical practice, Mm -hmm. I don't know that they would stick with it.
0: Yeah, it's not, I guess it's not enough.
8: There's just so much more there once the emotional and the spiritual piece comes in.
0: I mean, really, that's, that is, how do you pay for that? How do you pay for such mental strengthening?
8: It's really true. It's a great question. And it's one of those things that that people often look for in other ways and then they're surprised to maybe find it with yoga.
0: Right. What's the what is the average class cost? Like in Utah, what would the average class ca, or class cost a person?
8: It depends on the studio that you go to, but they're often between 12 and 15 dollars a class. And then studios will have passes where you can get you know, an eight-class pass or a month pass or a year-long pass, and that would adjust the pricing.
0: That's great. And then you just kind of go when you can. How often do you suggest, as a professional, how often do you suggest to your clients that they go?
8: If a person can go three times a week, that is fabulous.
0: And and I guess you got to hydrate. That's what they kept saying. I called a place, and they're like, yeah, but make sure you drink a lot of water before you come because we're going to get you sweating.
8: Especially with Bikram. Yeah. <laughs> right.
0: Uh, you mean sweat fest.
8: Right, right.
0: Oh, well, it really is. Um, uh, for some reason, it's just calling me. So I guess that, that's important.
8: It is. Well, Matt, why don't you come to campus and take a class with us?
0: You know, the irony is I'm sitting on campus right now as we speak, and uh, the idea of doing the class scares me to death. Do you have We're night classes? we class
8: tonight. We're having a class tomorrow night. We'll put your mat in an inconspicuous area.
0: If you could just put a little screen around me, <laughs> that would be great. You know, I'm going to try it. I'm going to. What time are your night classes? Uh, six o'clock. Is it okay if I just video it? Video sure. myself doing it?
8: Yeah. I just want to put, put that on, on Facebook. <laughs>
0: <laughs> no, we'd never do that. Never do that. Well, Heather, we appreciate you. I'm going to come down. I'll come see you, and you can... Um, Here's the problem. Last time I tried anything like this, I pulled my hamstrings, and I was down for about a month.
8: Yeah, hamstrings are sure easy to pull, but see, when you're in a pose, you really have to connect with your breath and be sure you can keep your breath deep, because if it ever turns shallow, that's when you're at Hot. risk of injury. Yeah,
0: something's going to go. Something's going to yeah. give. <laughs> well, we appreciate you. It Really, it is. Uh, it's, it's the craze. Everyone's out there trying it, and... I think it's so great because it's also creating more mindfulness and people are being more centered. I mean, really, it's, it, it has the potential to be life-changing. Now all i got to do is get down on campus. That's right. And then we'll see it. Well, Heather Wing, we appreciate you.
8: Thank you so much. We look forward to seeing you, you on your mat in our class.
0: I'll be in class. Matt okay. on his mat. <laughs>
8: Good. Thanks, Heather. Thank you. Take
0: care. Great insight. Wow. Maybe we ought to do it as a, as a team. Maybe we all ought to go. Maybe maybe we got to send Terry. You go first, Terry. Just come back. But you work out, so that ought to be easy for you. Just just do it. No. Okay. Tomorrow.
1: See, th- th- there's a conflict, though. Yeah. Because being fit, yeah. working out, tomorrow is National Eat Ice Cream for Breakfast Day. Uh, I'm
0: so glad you reminded me. So there you go. Woo. Kind of a conflict. There. I was going to go work out tomorrow and do yoga. Yeah. Nope. Got to eat ice cream. Ice cream. Ice cream for the show <laughs> tomorrow. Good stuff. I'm glad you brought that up. That was close, Terry. I almost went and did yoga. Thanks for helping. My wife will really appreciate that. We're going to take a break. When we come back, we'll be with the the gentleman from where else? BYU Sports Nation. They'll be uh, giving us their favorite poses, their favorite yoga poses. We'll be right back. You're listening to The Matt Townsend Show on BYU Radio. Back everybody to the Matt Townsend show. Here we go to one of my favorite uh, times of the show. We're going down to our good friends at BYU Sports Nation. We say down because they are in a studio B uh, below us, and uh, they don't know this. Actually, they do know now, but we watch them from above from a video camera. So, guys, how was uh, how was President's Day?
9: It was fantastic. We worked. What did I know. you
0: do? We I needed to take a break. <laughs> I had already had a week of working, so I, I need three hours a day. <laughs> I know. I know. But see, three hours a day. I did fifteen hours last week on yeah. air. You only did five. Not true. Oh no, because you did your other work.
9: Yeah, exactly. See that's true.
0: <laughs> that's true, which is why which brings us to our topic yoga.
9: Yo, yo, of course. Now when
0: we were watching you guys in the video camera here, I noticed that you were doing some yoga. That's not true. <laughs> so what we want to know is what is your favorite yoga pose? Yoga pose, Screaming pigeon.
9: I only know one. Okay, now I know two because Jerem just said screaming pigeon. Okay, so what,
0: what's yours, Spencer? Uh,
9: downward facing dog.
0: Wow. You know that that's actually not a yoga pose.
9: Oh, I have no idea.
10: That's, um, they
0: only do that the, when you're arrested.
10: Nice. One of the first things I did here was I was a utility back in 2007. We went over to the motion picture studio uh-huh. in Provo, and I just held the cable for yeah. the camera guy on Total Body Workout, which I Ooh. believe still airs yeah. on BUA TV.
0: Well, but whatever it is, it worked on you.
10: Yeah, absolutely. I'm in incredible shape. You are. Um, <laughs> unbelievable. I read two books during the shoot. Oh, did you? <laughs> <That's> <laughs> I just how... sat there. It was, it was, they'd close the door, turn off the A.C., and it was a... It was uh, a sauna
0: in there, man. It was it, uh, it See, that, we call that Bikram yoga. Um, we just learned that today. Here's some other poses for you guys if you're looking for some. There's the old Lord of the Dance pose.
9: Lord of the Dance. Okay. Jerem did that yesterday.
0: Yeah, no, that was beautiful. Uh, that, my favorite pose is called the corpse pose because you're just supposed to look like a dead body.
9: How does that help you? Why, do, why does that
10: matter?
0: Well, y- you try breathing when you're dead. it's a lot harder than you think i
9: don't have the guts to do
10: it
0: and then there's the old dancing shiva pose
9: dancing shiva Oh, that's a classic put that into words for me matt it's it's
0: like dancing queen but it's a dancing shiva
9: uh yep still have no idea i don't even i don't even know what's going on right now
0: well it's yoga folks where are we um hey do you guys on your show you're not doing yoga so you're probably talking sports or something
10: that we are sports content generally dominates the program. The gri- uh, what,
0: what have you got coming down the chute here? The great debate is on today. What? So the West
9: Coast Conference Player of the Year we've decided is very much up for grabs, just because there's not one standout performer when you look across the board. BYU has a couple of great players, but yeah. they're in third place. Gonzaga is the first place team. They've got some great balance, but they don't have, you know, a guy that's like, yeah, he is their superstar not player. a
10: Jimmer right. Fredette, you know, right. that's right. like, hell, he's obviously the player of the year. So we're going to discuss who do we think is the player of the year. I personally don't think it's a BYU player, don't but, w- but where do Kyle Collinsworth and Tyler Haas fit into the equation is the question.
0: Well, it seems like five triple-doubles is a big deal.
10: It's a really big deal. Is it a big deal enough to the head
9: coaches who vote on this
0: that's in true, about huh? two
9: and a half weeks?
0: Yeah, you got to impress everyone Three else.
10: Weeks to, yeah, that, that's the yeah, thing. BYU being
9: in third place, too, does not help Kyle Collinsworth True. Uh, in that that realm, I guess, because generally it's, well, it's the best player on the best team. Yeah. That, that kind of seems to be the case. That's
10: not the case this year. It may what? be Brad Waldo from St. Mary's. It might be Kyle Wilcher or Kevin Pangos from Gonzaga, or Kyle Collins with Tyler Hawes. That's yeah. what we'll talk about. Then
9: so, there's this, Matt. What, what, okay? what? The newest record-holding sensation on the track at BYU. His name is Shaquille Walker.
0: I saw that. That's yeah, we cool. have
9: him in studio today. Oh, how he went from being a non-member of the LDS Church in Georgia to serving a mission in England and now setting records at BYU. Unbelievable, Aspiring Olympian.
0: Do you know what? How come you get the great guess? Because well, I guess we get you. <laughs> so it's that's half the deal. It's our producer we ben, credit Bagley. ben Bagley. That's our half producer. the deal. Yeah. Well, guys, uh, have a great show. We appreciate you. Keep up the great work. You, by the way, you guys have my show for the best. Sh- my vote for the best show on Sports Nation, BYU Sports Nation.
10: Hey, we'd thank like you. to think thank it's you, one man. of the best hours on television.
0: <laughs> it totally is. Take care, gentlemen. <laughs> All right, man. Have a great show. That's cool. They they uh they got a fun job. Except they had to work yesterday. I mean, I don't want to. I don't want to start a problem.
7: I'm kind of a big deal.
0: Bet I'm kind of a big deal. I don't know why we didn't have to. Just let it go. Let it go. Oh, Terry, you stepped in it right there. Sorry, I'll never say that. Don't ever say let it go because we have this automatic thing that goes off. Hey, um, I thought that was neat. They they didn't know their their poses, their yoga poses. You left off my favorite. Which was yours.
1: What is that, Destroyer of the Universe? (laughs)
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah.
1: That's... That's a big one. And it the person ties themselves into a knot. They're they're supported by one hand, everything else is tucked really? and yeah. I thought that was Twister. It it looks like it. It's crazy. Twister would be a great pose. It as would well. be an advanced move, I'd guess.
0: There is the formidable face pose. Yes. I think that's when you actually can't support yourself anymore and you're just your face formidably hits plant. the ground. <laughs> and then you've just had the formidable face pose hey uh as we wrap up the show any um any news we need to focus on any big stories anything that's hanging out there tomorrow we've already got a great show lined up we got a bunch of people i'm not gonna tell you what they are because i don't want to blow the surprise but again we have all of our producers right now working on tomorrow's show um there is a little bit of news that I wanted to bring up. Um, tomorrow, it was brought to my attention, is ice cream for breakfast day, which, critical uh, that we think about this. I was so close, so close to um, actually starting yoga tomorrow morning, but instead we're going to do ice cream for breakfast. Also, um, some news that I heard, sadly, um you know what it costs? There is a place in New York, a one-bedroom apartment in New York, that guess how much it costs to rent. 3000 oh. No. No? No. One bedroom in New York, it costs about $120,000 a month Whoa. to rent, but included... Yeah, it's a one-bedroom apartment, 120000 a month. Instead that his own parking space? But you actually, you get a butler service oh. and a jaguar with a chauffeur. Oh, okay. Yeah, totally. So, I mean, I guess that's worth it. I mean, because if you're going to have a jaguar and a chauffeur. By the way, I had a friend who, when we went to New York when I was about 15, and his sister, he was older than us, his sister was a Broadway actress, and she had a black jaguar. And she let us borrow her Jaguar during Easter weekend. And my friend drove us to the to the Bronx, basically. Actually, Harlem. So a bunch of white guys in a black Jag driving to Harlem on Easter Sunday. And we watched all of the most incredibly beautifully dressed up women going to church Sunday morning with their hats on. And then we got chased out of the neighborhood. (laughs) But it was one of the coolest experiences of my life. And um, anyway, so, you know, I'm probably going to go start renting that apartment. Is that worth it? $120,000? Not really. But you get a car and a butler. I mean, you get a one bedroom, an 1,100 square foot room on the 28th floor. Uh, It's a corner apartment with views of Central Park. It's located in the Pierre Hotel. It's renting the 61st Street. Uh pad is about $1.44 $1. million. Hmm. So I'm assuming this is like for an executive that you know just to, needs to live there but maybe travels everywhere else and just a place has to a sleep. million to throw down. Even.
1: Everything looks the same when you close your eyes. It really does. So if you pay for the amenities, maybe it makes sense. But I think I'd just go out and drive in my car
0: all night. That's my thought. You have, have someone driving you. I'd have my butler drive me. Right. Drive Me Downtown. Let me give you another story, as we always like to wrap up, talking about the heroes. Sean, do you have something?
2: Well, I just noticed a, a new story that uh, the actor Louis Jordan has passed away. Yes, and he was... Um, he was a Bond villain. The Bond villain. And he was in a number of... He was, he was 93 years old. His last movie credit, though, was just, uh, I think, about five or six years ago. Um, but he was a very good actor, uh, did lots of films, and... I, to me, it, it reminds me that the Academy Awards are coming up. And, and one of my favorite parts of the Academy Awards, and I, I hope this doesn't sound too creepy, but is the in memoriam yeah, portion see. of the of the awards. Because I always forget who has passed away this last year. Yeah. And and I always forget that. And there's always somebody on the list. I go, oh, no, we lost them too? I, it's just it always surprises me. But I always like that part of the Academy Awards just because I think it's it's nice to remember the people who have been – influential and in, I know in my life anyway.
0: Well yeah, how many times do you watch that and you're like, "Oh, he died?" Yeah. Oh, he mm-hmm. died? Yeah. It's a it's a big deal. And um you know, we, you know, best wishes to his family as well. Um one of the things that we've we've tried to do regularly on the show is have a hero of the day. And um it's always, you know, who's the hero, what constitutes a hero. But today I wanted to recognize uh, the great actress Jamie Brewer, who is best known um, for – oh, and it's cut off – her roles on American Horror Story, I think it is, um, oh, dur- yes. during I remember New York talking Fashion about. Week. Did mm-hmm. you see this? So Brewer was the first model in the show ever uh, in New York Fashion Week with Down syndrome. And she wore clothing designed by Carrie Hammer as part of Hammer's collection, and um, she basically – she just knocked it out of the park. They, they say Jamie is an absolute star, adding that the, even though the actress has disabilities, she still is incredible and knows who she is. Jamie has this, um, this just inner sense of beauty and, and power. And what I love about it is more and more every time we hear a story like this, we are starting to take people that are so um, – that h- historically have been so put on the outside of society and culture and we're bringing them in. We're letting them in. We're letting them in, which they always should have been in. But it just shows you there's power, there's potential. We all have something to offer, and uh, I just want to honor Jamie Brewer for going out there, teaching us what it is to be normal. I mean, really, normal is so up in the air for all of us and that was absolutely beautiful and changing the world. Also best wishes to uh Billy Casper, the great golfer passed away as well uh a couple of weeks ago and I don't I haven't mentioned it on my show but he was a true uh he was a true blue leader one of the top I think 6 or 7 best in the history of golf and just a great man as well. So we appreciate him and our thoughts go out to him. We're going to to end it folks this is the day. The day is over. We're done. We're going to be shooting it up to uh actually shooting it down to the guys at BYU Sports Nation. Good luck to them. And thanks for joining us. Remember, we can't do a show without you. We're here every day from uh, 9 to noon Eastern Time, helping you find the good in the world, helping you find uh, the tools, the skills you need to make it through this crazy thing called life. Thanks for joining us. Until tomorrow, take care and be good.